return for part two. Back. Season three, Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, man. Storm of Swords. Storm of Swords, part one, part two. Starting on part two now. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time since the very beginning of us doing this podcast where we did a part two of something. I mean, for the pilot, we did like part one and part two, but it was for Marvel and then Star Wars, where right. this is like the first time we're really kind of splitting up one episode just because of how large it is, how important it is to the arc. Yeah, and we really didn't want to rob you guys of anything. <clears throat> the irony on that, Rob Stark. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. But uh, we wanted to make sure you guys really get the detail of what's going on here, so we didn't want to... We felt like, you know, if we kind of force it all into one, this book is so big, this season has got so many important details, it would just be rushed if we really did it all. Yeah, show. either that or it'd be five hours long, and we're not yeah. going to do that to you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited about this part two here because, you know, this like the, far, the first part that we did, that had a lot of stuff going into it, but this takes it to the next level. Right. Um, I mean, we were starting out by kind of saying for a minute, as far as just even what the characters are kind of going through, you kind of start to see a little bit more of Danny's starting to take on more of that major uh, plot point role as yeah. before she was a subplot. Kind of, yes. Yeah. So I wouldn't say so much as a subplot as I would say she, it was the focus wasn't on her. She wasn't the focal point. Right. Right? So it was really just the five kings, uh, you know, it, the stuff that happened in season one with Ned and Robert as the hand and, like, you know, Robert being king, them both dying. Like, she really did kind of take a backseat burner, and now she's starting to put a lot of things together. Because let, let's remember where she came from, right? She... You know, was sold as a slave, in, pretty not as a slave, but sold into a wedding so that way her brother could have a Dothraki army so that he could take back Westeros. From there, uh, you know, Khal Drogo dies. Now she's the head of a Kalisar. She's got a small army. Uh, obviously, the majority of them left after Khal Drogo died. Right. When she went to the fire, whoever would left remained with her. And then from there, she goes to Koth. They steal her dragons. She gets her dragons back. Uh, she ends up stealing enough money. Uh, from Zaro's and Duxus's like possessions to get a ship, and you know in the book three ships, and now she's on her way to uh, attempt to purchase an army. <laughs> yeah, and it's amazing how far she's come in such little time too. Yeah, I mean she really makes some big significant jumps here. Um, whereas if you look at kind of the other characters and their decisions that were made as we really went into in the last episode. That's what you really kind of see separates her from a lot of the main focal point characters, is she's taking huge jumps, and just like she said that we went into in the last episode, you know, her dreams come true, she will take what is hers with fire and blood. She's really doing whatever she can, um, and she's very intellectual about it as far as getting it done. Intellectual and empathetic, because as we go into this, we're going to really talk about, like, how it breaks her heart to see slaves, and she's doing all, all she can to not only like build her own army, but free as many slaves to become free people as she can at the same time. She's not using, she's not like Stannis, where as I'm going to take it by any means necessary. Right. She's trying to make lives better for others, which you know makes you leads you in the beginning thinking you know she's going to be a great ruler of Westeros, you know when when it comes to that time. So uh, another thing that we were kind of talking about too, uh, just because. I think it's it's something that got, went understated in the last episode with uh, you know Jamie Lannister. We talked about him a little bit at length, and in the books, 
he like he she was traveling with Brienne and Cleos, and he steals Cleos's sword and then has that little duel with Brienne. So at this time, this is before Locke and Bruce Bolton's men found him. He still had two hands, but he had been chained up. He had been malnourished, even a prisoner, and without a sword in his hand for over a year's time. And when like it's depicted in the books that Brienne, when she fought him, she recalls how difficult it was, even though he was like shackled at the wrists, he only had a certain amount of play with the sword, how difficult it was for her to overpower him, and really he kind of slipped in the river. It's not The fight was a lot more even in the books than it was portrayed in the TV series. In the right. TV series, she kind of like had her way with him, and, yeah. you know, but that's not the case. And so that kind of really speaks to how, again, we, we kind of beat it to death in uh, episode one of how great of a swordsman Jamie Lannister is, but remember how great Bran is, and she yeah, got taken to the, to the to the brink of like, wow, that that tested almost all of my abilities for a prisoner, and that and I'm talking about for somebody like again a prisoner for over a year, malnourished, had no like training for that amount of time, straight up went and took the fight to this girl, chained. Uh, that, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I mean, you got to say too though. As far as what the show does, it really does go to the point of it shows that Brienne of Tarth wasn't a nobody either. Like, she was a great swordsman still. It's just, I think Wise and Benninghoff did a great job as portraying, you know, what Jamie was really going through at the time and how he was still not only able to hold his own against her, but he really was able to match her. Well, I mean, I think Wise and Benioff did a bad job because in the, in the books is where it really was a match. In the in the series, like they, she, he kind of stunk, like <laughs> not for nothing. Like he was slow, yeah, like obviously sluggish. In the books, that was where it was really shown how how great a swordsman. This one, it made it look like she easily defeated him. Because I remember, like she knocked him to the side and like had her like shoulders up so broad, like it was not a big deal. Well, I mean, as far as what goes into like deep emotion and how downright really you kind of see Jamie winds up getting destroyed throughout this whole process just like you were saying before it makes you wonder does he really want to commit suicide I don't think he does but I do think he just feel like his world is really being ripped out from underneath him even as far as the story that gets told in Storm of Swords with how he becomes the Kingslayer yeah and, and to your point like so Actually, it was portrayed perfectly by Brienne after, you know, just skipping up just a small amount. When uh, Locke takes Jamie's hand off, like he gave up, Brienne said, you know, you, you get one taste of the real world and that's it. You, like, you just give up, you're done. You know, so I always, I have this thought that Jamie Lancer always wanted to die. Like, he was completely okay with dying, didn't want to fight, like, really at any point in time. Like, when, after he is taken as a prisoner, he wanted the Starks to kill him. Like, when he had his hand taken off, he was just, like, desolate, didn't want anything to do with anything. You know, so, I don't know. Uh, but to your, to your point about the story of how he became a Kingslayer, uh, it really makes, it kind of puts him as a sympathetic character for the very first time. I mean, you can argue that his hand getting taken off, uh, you know, that all that did was show one part of it, but when he goes into the story about how he had to choose between bringing his king his own father's head 
and saving and like and like letting the entire population of King of Landon burn, or kill one guy in the back with a blade, and then be forever branded as this evil, unhonorable guy for really doing something that anyone with a logical, you know, bone in their body would have done. It, it's right. just sad that how he just is like looked on in disgust and like you know people like mock him behind his back and call him Kingslayer um, when really. Like, what else was he going to do? It was like, uh, what's funny is, you know, when you go back to the beginning of the story in Game of Thrones, or you go back to season one of the show, he's embraced it as from looking from an outside point of view, you're like, wow, like, he really likes this title because he really is, like, such a master swordsman, he deserved it. When really, once you get into Storm of Swords, it makes you realize... How torn up he must have been. Every time someone said that, every time someone was like, oh wow, it's the Kingslayer. It's just reminding him of this decision he had to make. Which was, a good, like, honestly, any sane person would have made the same choice. Yeah. So, you know, you see him in a sympathetic light for the first time. Uh, you know, and we were, we were talking about Daenerys a little bit to open this part to here. Let's go into the Unsullied a little bit. When, you know, she was looking to purchase an army, you know, she heard about the Unsullied. Guys, the Unsullied, they were one of the best, like, fighting armies ever. They, they held, like, an entire Kalasar at bay like, while they were mounted, well, like, the, like, the Kalasar was mounted and they were just foot soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. You know, like, if you guys didn't hear about, like, their training... You know, like only one in three survive in the books, one in four survive in the series. But you know, still, like that's really bad odds that even surviving that they they castrate you, so you have no sexual urges. Literally, they put you in so much pain, and and they you know, they torture you in so many ways, physically, and mentally, and emotionally, to you're not a human anymore. Like you're not a real person. You are like a robot, and you feel no pain. You're not afraid of anything, and it's it, it's sad in a way, but it makes them fearless and deadly warriors. Yeah, uh, I mean, this was actually my favorite part in the books and the show, because think of them, for all our viewers out there that really don't know a whole lot about the Unsullied, think of them as almost like the 300 in Gerard Butler's world back then. I mean, <laughs> <King> Leonidas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Leonidas, <laughs> this is Sparta! <laughs> uh, Gerard Butler's the man. But as the guy even says... Um, when he's negotiating with Danny, and she's like, you know, this is what I'll I'll give you here as far as Dothraki, right? Right. He says your entire army is maybe worth three unsullied. Right. If that anything. was crazy. You think about that. How afraid Robert Baratheon was in season one of the unsull or of the uh, Dothraki crossing the narrow sea. Like he was, he was like, you know, he has a whole Dothraki herd, but these masters of Astapor. Like they're, like, they're worth nothing. They might be enough to feed our dogs with. Like, yeah. that's exactly the thing exactly. to use. Like, like, so, yeah, you know, Unsullied were really thought of as, as the best warriors um, in, in the nation and in the entire, actually the entire world, right? SOS and Westeros combined, so. Right. Uh, and it's really cool how she kind of gets her hands on the Unsullied. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so this entire time, like, uh, his name is Krasnus, the guy who's selling the Unsullied. 
and he's insulting Daenerys the whole time, the speaking time in High Valyrian, yeah. which, you know, we found out, we find out at that time, too, we had no idea that she, like, her mother tongue is Valyria, right? So, he's insulting her, calling her a slut, bitch, a whore, and, like, telling, like, Jorah that he smells, of, the old man smells of piss, like, just insulting them, and, you know, having Miss Sunday, like, translate, but, like, like, the clean version of the translation without all of that. And this entire time, Daenerys is understanding everything that's going on. Which is, if you think about that, could you imagine the person in front of you, you know exactly what they're saying, and they're just insulting you the whole time, yeah. but you're still, from an intellectual perspective, and how Danny's able to maintain her cool through this right. whole process, it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, she had an entire Dothraki army, but she knew what she was there to do. And it, if you go back, as far as we've been talking about from the beginning, the significance of three. So think of this, right? So if you go back to kind of the history of the Unsullied. Um, so the big call you were talking about. Uh, i got to look his name up in just a minute. Um, I'll look his name up. But basically this big call uh, was basically conquering pretty much everything at the time. Yeah. I want to say his name is Timo. Timo, I think his name was, or something like that. I'll have to look it up. So all my viewers out there, <laughs> I'll look that up in a minute, and then you can laugh at me. Because, you know, Josh is the guy with the names. Um, but he was pretty much conquering everything at the time, and this was way back before Danny's time. Um, but the Targaryens really knew how to use the Unsullied um, for the advantage to defend their lands and kind of how they came into power. Um, well, he was really, the call, Timo, was really almost like Alexander the Great at that point, really gaining an entire army, and finally towards uh, the end, it came down to um, the Unsullied, which were over in... Astapor. Astapor, yeah. And it's still to this day, they had, it looks like they had... I think it was 600 men yeah. that held the lines over and over and over. Against how big was the Kalsar? I think it was 2,000. Yeah, something 2000 like that. 2,000 Unbelievable. And held the lines and held their own. And Timo, at the very end, according to the books and the history, uh, which you know how significant this is for the call, cut off his own braid, threw it on the ground, and never came back. But it's so, going back to the symbolism of three and how even Danny walked into the fire, it is very iconic and very symbolic how in order to get where she winds up being all the way to the very end of the show, she needed not only the Dothraki that never got along with the Unsullied, but she needed the Unsullied and she needed the Targaryens and the dragons Yeah. in order to do that. That's symbolism of three, because mm -hmm. you have Danny, Mother, and Dragons, Mm -hmm. That had the three dragons that she used, just like Aegon the Conqueror. Right. And then she had the Sully, Unsullied. And then she was able to make them work together with the Dothraki, which they have the history all the way back in AC right. that they never worked together. So it's almost like the prophecy at this point is starting to come together. It's, it's, it's actually unbelievable. And, um, you know, kind of talking, like every time we think of prophecies, I think of all the ones that were unfulfilled in, in the show. Right. Then this one I want to bring up is that you have Melisandre saying that Stannis is you know uh, the you know the Azor Azai like the guy who is going to be 
the bringer of peace who destroys the long night, like the, the prince that was promised is the exact words. Now, over in Marine, where we haven't got to yet, the other red priest is, is claiming that Daenerys is the princess that was promised. Because like in the language, um, their word for prince and princess is the same, so you don't know it could be a boy or a girl. So it's like, okay, well, who's the prophecy about? And then we don't even find out that anyways. So that's, that's, that's for a later time. But uh, yeah, so it just it's interesting when we talk about prophecies, like ones that were fulfilled, unfulfilled, you know, and, and things of that nature. Uh, also, what I wanted to talk about, too, because we, we, we did kind of go into a little bit about Daenerys and Astapor and the Unsullied and the Dothraki. While all this is going on, Robb Stark's army starts to kind of crumble from within. Because, yeah. you know, in, in one of the episodes here, like, Rickard Karstark decides to exact his revenge now. Uh, you know, for people who haven't been keeping up, uh, Rickard Karstark, his son, was killed in the books by Jamie Lannister in Sword in Hand. Now he was killed by Jamie Lannister in Chains and Shackles, like he choked him into getting the keys to release himself. So either way, Rhaegar Cardstark's uh, sons are dead at the hands of Jamie Lannister. Catelyn releases Jamie Lannister. Rhaegar Cardstark never forgives her for it, always wanted his revenge. So, you know, two prisoners that Rob Stark was able, well, his army was able to capture, um, you know, was Martin Lannister and another, like, cousin, like a distant cousin of Tywin. And so, you know, and by the way, what another, this is like, almost like a casting plot hole. I have to assume they knew that they did this. Right. But Martin Lannister is Tommen Baratheon. Did you yeah. know that? Yeah. Like, legit, like, the, the little boy they killed, like, he comes back as the king after Joffrey dies, like, in next season. So, very interesting how they didn't choose a new person to play Tommen Baratheon. They chose Martin Lannister, who dies. I don't know why they did that. That's very weird. Yeah, I gotta look that up. That, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like they ran out of budget or something. <laughs> it's just like you you could have found anybody, and they did, they did a lot of actor changes. That's one thing I didn't love. Like as great as this series was from season one through six, there's just so many people like interchanging the actors. Like Beric Dondarrion was different. Darian Harris was different. The mountain changed three times. Um, you know, yeah. the, the, Tom and Baratheon was Martin Lannister. It's like, where, when, <laughs> when do we like start calling yeah. out like, <laughs> well, you know, we, we can see that's not the same person, on guys. Tracks, like, on tracks. you know what, right? So, yeah. But uh, um, going into the whole deal of, like you were saying, Rob Stark, and we'll get back to Danny in a minute because I think there's a whole lot that goes into that. Um, Rob Stark, as we were saying in the first episode here. He makes some very pivotal decisions that have really made the entire Stark stronghold just end up in shambles by the end of this book and show. Mm-hmm. And and also too, because like I like to kind of give us all a point of view of what's going on in each area. So you know we talked about Daenerys over in um, Astapor. We've got Rob Stark, you know, at River Run. Now I want to jump to Jon Snow and and, the, and what's going on beyond the wall. Because he's still captive of the wildlings, but they kind of accepted him as one of their own. And one of the wargs, like the like D-warg, or Orel, he has a vision as an eagle, and he sees that um, the he said, "I see dead crows," meaning he saw at the fist of the first men when they were attacked by the White Walkers. Now, when they get to where they were attacked at the fist of the first men, there's just horse bodies. There's no uh, there's no 
nice watch bodies because they all became um, army members of the Night right. King's army, right? Yeah. But there's a bunch of horses lined up in a very strange pattern. And, you know, it was never explained. And I want to know, I've heard some fan theories of, you know, that it almost resembles the um, Targaryen symbol a little bit. And uh, they, the Night King possibly, when he was stabbed by the Children of the Forest, he possibly uh, was one of the Targaryens, and that's why he's able to ride a dragon, because only Targaryens are able to ride, you know, symbolizing, you know, when we find out who Jon is later. And Which all that, that. Yeah, that brings up a good point, and I think we were talking about it on episode one of this uh, Storm of Swords for a little bit, part one. Um, the Night King in the book, you know, doesn't exist right, right now. Like, we don't know if he's actually there. So, as far as one thing I do want to get into later on, which we'll talk about Beric and, of course, the prophecies, is, you know, the Lord of Light that, of course, we talked about for a minute. And as far as the Night King, a big question that I myself have, some fans have at the moment, is the other god that it talks about as the antagonist to the Lord of Light in the books. Is that potentially going to be the Night King as when the Winds of Winter comes out in A Song of Spring? Like, you just don't know. Um, which, that's kind of a liberty I think Benninghoff and Wise did take, right? Um, which paid off very well for him. Until it didn't. Until it didn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you know, so, because, like, at, at that point in, in the books, everything was talking about, like, you know, Alessandra even said it best when she was talking to Stannis. She said, This war of the, the kings is nothing. The war for the living and the dead, we need to head north. Right? So, like, you know, it, this was supposed to be the big, like, end-all, be-all. And, it, you know, it was almost like a subplot to weaken Daenerys' army before she went to go fight Cersei back down the road in season eight. Yeah, but, that's the whole mess. Yeah, and we're going to get into it there. I just, I just want everyone to realize that the, the, the Night King is supposed to be, a, like, this is supposed to be the entire plot of the Song of Ice and Fire is that it's the living versus the dead, right? And so the fact that, you know, it kind of turns out the way it did is, is, is sad. So, anyways, as, as this is happening, um, you know, beyond the wall, like, they see, like, the, the strange symbol from the horses, never really kind of um, explained. Uh, Mance Raider decides he's wants he's gonna send Jon Snow and a couple of the wildlings over the wall uh, to attack Castle Black kind of just um, easy easy access for his army to get in he says I'm gonna light a the biggest fire the north has ever seen uh, you know and, and at that time too man how bad do you feel for this girl remember Gilly she like had given birth yeah, to that Gilly. boy mm -hmm. and she is like like she knew that he was yeah. gonna they, they were coming to him and the reason I bring that up is because the Night's Watch were marching back from that Fist of the First Men, the ones that survived, and they've got to stay at Craster's Keep again. And this is where, you know, the mutiny, uh, the mutiny of Craster's Keep happens, where the, the, where the Night's Watch turns on Gior Mormont. Well, a couple of them did, and then uh, the ones that were loyal to him were kind of taken prisoner. It's That, that kind of, that, that was something that, that was uh, really sad. Yeah. Um, which, kind of going into that for just a minute, but kind of jumping back, one thing I did look up just a second ago, because I had it in my notes, I just didn't know exactly where it was, I was going into, as far as the prophecies, how detailed these books are, if you go back into even the Kalasar, 
the Kalasar worshipped what was called the Great Stallion, right? Which the Great Stallion, um, they were single deities, uh, but they were existing that they were known throughout the land, but people may or may not worship them. But they were basically like these big horse gods. But one of their biggest things they always said was the Kalasar of the Great Stallion is what they worshipped. And they always said um, they looked towards the moon and the stars, which kind of goes back to how, you know, Danny always said, you are the moon and my stars, right? And then you did have, even as far as in that area, another one they always looked to was where the, was called actually the black goat uh, in that area. So the black goat, they would actually, as far as where the unsullied and everything were, the people in that area would actually make offerings to these people, um, which is where, as Timo actually did look it up, where he was trying to take over that area where the unsullied were. Um, and as far as the books and the history goes, it says they kept making so many offerings because they believed that was what was helping uh, the unsullied make their stand against the Dothraki. Still, the, to this day in that universe, it still stands. So it just goes to show, not that I necessarily you know, believe that's what made the arcs what they were, but how detailed these books were. Um, these weren't just like one complete outline in a row. It even goes back to as far as everything's history has a reason for it. Um, and I even looked here. So it said it had a Kalasar of 20,000 riders is what Tinmo had. So he had 20,000 against 600. <laughs> That's insane. It's absolutely insane. And they were on horse and then so they were foot soldiers. Yeah. So. And, um, it even goes to the point of where we had the three. Uh, the Dothraki had gained such an army at that point, they wouldn't have been held in check if it wasn't for the Targaryens. And the Targaryens held them in check with the dragons that they had. And just because they were going to take over this one little area, it was the Unsullied that held them off. Because at that point, because it was just one tiny little area, the Targaryens didn't give a shit. Right. So it just goes back to the whole point of three. And um, it was total of actually, so 3,000 unsullied warriors uh, traveled in an outflanked um, tradition for a scorn um, infantry and basically just kept holding the entire line against 20,000. Uh, which eventually did get down to 600, it says. Uh, but yeah, and then ever since, that one city in Essos has never been taken over. So it was 600 unsullied remained, but 12,000 Dothraki were defeated, and 18 times the line was charged, and 18 times the unsullied held the line. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. So that just goes back into kind of the three, right, that we were talking about. So going back to Rob, where were we at? Well, we were at, we were at the, uh, Gilly and, the, and like the baby Gilly boy. Gilly and Sam. Yeah, okay, cool. yeah so you know, the reason why is, like, it's it's terrible that she has a boy is because, as you guys know, Craster offers up his sons as offerings to the White Walkers. And so uh, she's afraid, obviously, that you know, when they're going to take her son, spend the time with him there, and then the mutiny at Craster's Keep that we'll get into in a second. Uh, 
But now since you know, we're jumping to people to people, we're going to go a little bit into King's Landing here. Back, you know, Tyrion had his face cut and saved by Podrick. And so what's really funny that he did, and I love this, is that as a payment for his life, he gives Podrick like a certain amount of gold. It's a more, more gold than he pays him in a year, and then Bronn corrects him, like, you don't pay him. He's like, well, it's certainly a lot more, yeah, more gold yeah. than that. So yeah. uh, to have uh, some... Uh, Biblical relations with three women at once, and it turns out Patrick Payne are three. <laughs> Patrick Payne ends up being things. a little uh, 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 prodigy at the uh, sexual relations. Which, like I said, Patrick Payne in the book, he's like what ten or twelve, <laughs> something like that. He's like twelve, Young. thirteen. Yeah, getting his smash on. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, which Tyrion was a little bit. You know, surprised he didn't take more advantage of that when he comes back in the show. The thing too, like, like, man, with Podrick, he's so quiet. He's so like, he's almost too innocent. And the fact that, like, you know, it, it, it turned out the way that it did that he happens to be just, you know, they don't even the whores don't even take his money. Like, you're yeah, so no, good that like, didn't yeah. take his money. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. And as we're kind of into the Lannisters here with Tyrion, uh, all this time has happened when the, Jamie and Brienne were captured by Locke, which is Roose Bolton's men. And uh, they get captured, and they're about to rape Brienne. And then to Jamie's character, amazing thing happens here. He tells them that uh, Tarth is, is called the Sapphire Isle because all the sapphires in Westeros are mined there. And that uh, her dad would pay the weight, her weight in sapphires if her honor was undismerged, was the words that he used. Uh, so he goes out of his way to save Brienne from, from rape and worse. Uh, just, like, you know, there was no reason for him to do that. You know, it kind of like speaks to his character. He's he's starting to form a little bit of a bond, and it kind of goes deeper as you know we go on, and he refuses to have her left behind uh, at the Dreadfort and and all that. So, and then unfortunately, <laughs> he this is the part in time where he thinks he's making a great deal with Locke and saying, "Oh, you probably are sore from this tree here. Get up off the tree. You want something to eat? Uh, yeah, partridge is delicious. Like, come and get on the table. Does this table suffice?" And like. This is like, you know, he's thinking that finally, like, you know, I, I was able to get to him. He's my dad's going to pay this guy whatever he wants, and I'm, you know, I'm going to be free. And then, like, the lock base is like, you know, you're, you think you can just say my father and all your problems go away. Right. And then he's like, well, this is something to remind you that's not the case. And just throws yeah. his, uh, like, um, carving knife down and takes James' hand clean off. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Which that kind of went back into where we were at before, where mm -hmm. then, you know, Jamie still proved after his hand was cut off, he still was a master swordsman, even though he was very depressed, <laughs> I would say, at that time. The thing is, like, in, in the show, he kind of, like, because he broke free from them, and he tried to fight with just his left hand, and he just wasn't good. I mean, he also did try to fight five people at once, so I'm sure that had something to do with it. They knocked him in the mud easily. And, you know, even throughout the, re the rest of the TV series, he never really mastered the sword with his left hand. He never did. Like, he yeah. like, was never a even great Bron swordsman it. again. Yeah, yeah even Bron at one point. Remember, Bron, I think, what was it, season six? Or Probably. something? Yeah, season six, there. when he was trying to retrain him, and he was like, you know, we got to get you back to where you were. <laughs> and he <laughs> still never, I mean, it just shows, I mean, one little 
one little, you know, change here and there can change your entire demeanor about you. And that's the thing, too. Like he, he, he's like, I was that hand. Like, that was my sword hand. I was that hand. Which goes back to what I was saying, how <laughs> ironic it is. He took on the hand of the king and then lost his hand. And then not only the physical hand... He pretty much just lost his one hand up and everything at that point. Yeah, absolutely. There was nothing else after that. Like, Jamie Lannister's arc changed as he became more of a good guy, and then we'll talk later about what happens yeah. to him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, as, as we're kind of sticking with, like, this Lannister theme, you know, back in King's Landing, Tyrion's kind of down on his luck. He was demoted from Hand of the King because Tywin's back in in the fold here. Uh, he's talking to Lord Varys. Lord Varys finally tells him how he was cut with that sorcery. He heard, he heard uh, a voice in the fire call back and how he's never forgot it. And Lord Varys, the, the devious guy that he is, had the sorcerer who cut him in a box. Yeah. yeah. yeah and he, came, like, yeah. He, he just had him like, sit in the box while he told him the story. That was, that was, that was uh, diabolical. Yeah. Varys, Varys is... You almost don't know what to think of him because you almost think he's just as much of a snake as, and he is in a way. But Baelish. he's also got the got the best of the, the good for the realm in mind, and he does. But man, is he like he gets his way with doing mischievous stuff, kind of like Baelish, yeah. But he doesn't want power for himself. That's the only difference, really. Right. Which Lord Baelish, like that's one big thing. Was he plays such a pivotal role in the show? And in the books, it's kind of done a little bit differently. He's not involved in a lot of that, actually. Yeah, he's more involved like later on, like when it uh, comes to other things that we won't we won't talk about for season three. Uh, but you know, now that we're talking about these other like subplot characters, you know, what we haven't talked about in a while, and <laughs> he's getting the raw end of the deal is uh, Theon. He's at the drug fort, captured <laughs> by Ramsay. And, like, the crazy thing is you don't even know it's Ramsay yet, right? Like, yeah, exactly, like he was, like, yeah. being tortured by somebody, and then Ramsay tricks him, like, get, frees him and everything, gives him a horse. Frees him, and he, yeah. was, he, was, he said, you know, yeah. you'll be made a lord of the Iron Islands for this. Oh, my goodness. And so he's like, really wants to, like, he believe that this guy's helping him, and he goes through this whole entire thing, gets chased down, Ramsay kills all his, like, pursuers, and uh, it's funny because, like, a little bit of foreshadow, but right before Ramsey put that last arrow in the guy's uh, head, he's like, "You bastard!" And then you're like, they you start thinking, like, "Wait, bastard of dread bastard!" Oh my goodness, did it. Like, could, yeah. You know, like, who is this guy? And so he takes him all the way back into the dungeon, and like tricks him. He's like, "All right, just go through here," and he escapes. And he's like, and then he brings him back to like he, he turns on the uh, torch, like lights the torch, and it's his like the dread oh, yeah, symbol, and he goes back up to the uh, the torture uh, chamber. So that's that was crazy. Really, that's a that's a psychological and mental, like, that screws with you, man. Speaking of how psychological this is, I mean, this is when you really start to kind of see Ramsey is so... Sadistic, man. So fucked up, honestly. <laughs> I hate to say the word. Uh, but he really is as far as what goes on in his head and how he really does become what I would call the Joker of Game of Thrones. Is first, you know, he's just normal... There is no normal torture. I won't say I ever support any of it. But, you know, he cuts off Theon's finger, which is normal, mm. like, for normal crazy people that torture things. But then one thing that's really completely fucked up, he goes and has, uh, I want to say her name is Megan. What's her name in the show? Oh, the oh yes, yes. I know, because she, like, uh, she Megan, actually makes... No, it's not, it's not Megan. It's close. But she ends up making a, 
uh, appearance later on when it's like uh, I know you're talking about. That we'll talk about later. Um, this is like one of Ramsey's most badass moments. I will say. Yeah, like. Well, also don't forget, like they were screwing into his like foot too, like like Theon, you know, like they they had like that weird like corkscrew and they're like driving yeah. it into his foot, like his torture. Um, so I'm gonna get that name real quick. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just so I make sure I get that. I know exactly who you're talking about, uh, and, and her name does start with an M. Uh, it's not Megan. It's uh, of course like all the M's I have in here, guys. If you are listening, is like Melisandre or Sunday. And like, if you guys like, you, I know you guys can't see this, but I'm looking at Chase's notes and like he writes. I can't read. I can, I'm surprised he can read what he writes. So, <laughs> like, I, really, yeah, yeah. Um, Miranda. It's Miranda. Miranda. That's it. Yeah. But one thing it's that's Miranda, completely yes. effed up about this whole situation. Hasn't happened yet, but yeah. Hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but we'll kind of get into that later. But she seduces him mm-hmm. with that other girl. And the whole point, which you'll find out later, is because it's the last time... Speaking of fucked up, it's the last time Theon's gonna fuck anything at that point. Yep. Absolutely. And one thing, too, because, like, now... All this is happening at the Dreadfort. There's there's scheming. We, We talked about Varys, we talked about Littlefinger. Both of them are now scheming for Sansa Stark. And what I mean by that... Littlefinger has a like a mission that he has to go to uh, um, bring Liza Aaron into the fold, marry her, and he he like, secretly approaches Sansa Stark about um, carrying her away with him. Like, come come with me. I know you want to go right, home. Yeah. I'll take you home. Mm-hmm. And she like at this point thinks she's going to be married to Loras, which in the books, guys, this is completely different. Uh, Loras had an older brother in the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was he was called lame. He had he was lame because like in war his something injured his leg, so it, he uh, he had no use of one leg. But in the book she was betrothed like, like she was intended for um, the older brother, not Loras, because like she was disappointed in the books when she found out it wasn't going to be Loras that right because yeah. like, it has to be the eldest son yeah right where in, in the show he doesn't exist it's Loras only, and so she thinks she's going to be uh, engaged to Loras and be the lady of Highgarden. And, you know, so if you think about it, both of these people have a reason for this. The first one, Littlefinger, if he takes Sansa Stark with him, he's got the key to the north. And at this point, Rob Stark's army, like, you know, bad things are happening, but they're still together, they're still a force to be reckoned with. So, like, if they bring the Eyrie, like, if Liza Aaron brought all of her forces from the Eyrie and joins uh, the northern army, they, they, can, they can do the job. They can, right. they can yeah. win the war. Yeah. And so... He'll have the key to the north to like do that. And now on the opposite side, the Tyrells, they want to marry her for the exact same reason because now she's the key to the north for the for the Tyrells. And you know, they, Littlefinger finds out about Varys's plan to marry her to Loras, and he tells Cersei. Cersei tells Tywin, and so Tywin comes up with a, a plot to like undermine them both. Like, no, Tyrion will marry Sansa, and Cersei will marry Loras. Right. And this is why. Wow. Like, imagine like the, 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 the that's the real game, yeah. like the chess. Everyone's playing chess, man. Everyone's playing chess. And this is really when, like I was saying in season in episode one for this part here, part one, you really see Tywin power and how he really doesn't care what people have to say. Um, remember, he said he told Cersei, like Cersei thought she was going to sit there and challenge him, and be like, "I'm not going to do this." 
And you said, you are. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to go ahead and marry him, and you're going to go ahead and stop any questions that are arising out of this. This is about you and your brother. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, that that will be the end of it, quote, unquote. Yeah. And you really start to see, as far as even going into Tywin, when Joffrey's questioning, questioning him, the cunningness he has, as far as how we were talking about, is who would have made a great king, right? You have to at least give him this respect. He knew what he was doing, and he wasn't willing to take any bullshit with it. He was willing to step on whoever's toes he had to step on, and he was just going to go take them on head on. He wasn't going to go behind anyone's back. He just told them in the power way he was going to tell them. The thing is, he, he was smart. He was intelligent, because like, he does go behind the back and make secret alliances with the Freys and with Roose Bolton, and, and um, you know, to... What happens at the very end? So he does do those things behind people's back. But when it comes to his own family, he's like, no, like, like, I don't think you guys remember. I might have been at Castle Rock, Castle yeah. Rock for a little bit, but you might have forgot who I was. I, yeah. I talk and you listen, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. like that's it. Like yeah, that's there's the no fans yeah. and butts. Like, that's it. like we make it very easy. Either you're gonna listen to me or you're gonna wish you listened to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Those are two <laughs> options. Right. So for and sure, man. <laughs> and what's cool here is too is following along the characters. Arya is now with um, Beric Dondarrion and the Brotherhood Without Banners. You know, they capture the Hound and uh, they like, sentence him to trial by combat. Yeah, they How cool did. was it yeah. to see like, that flaming sword that Beric had fight the Hound who was afraid of fire? Well, let's go into that. Yeah. That's, that's kind of one of my favorite parts about this Absolutely. entire season and this book. You know, in the books, they really go into Beric in detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beric- yeah, he's, he's more depicted, you're right about that, he's absolutely more depicted in the books. He's almost like an afterthought in, in the, the... He really the, is, up yeah. Up this season here. Yeah, I mean, Beric has a really big <laughs> arc as far as in the books. I mean, Beric has been around Since for a hand long time. Yeah. yeah, Hand of the King. And it even goes into, you know, the prophecies with the gods we were talking about, which is funny how this all ties in. Because he's always praying to the Lord of Light. And the Lord of Light has brought him back, what, nine times? No, five times five at this times? point. But after the Hound defeats Beric in battle, that's the sixth time. Six times. And it's funny, because like, we talk about numbers having significance. Three always has, like, in, in, in real life, too, three is, like, you know, like, like the, the Holy Trinity. Like, like, like always, things yeah. come down to numbers a lot of times, and seven is said to be, yeah. like, a number two. Number like, you know, Harry Potter, seven right. more yes. Yeah. Like, lucky number seven, uh, you know, so... I, I had a feeling, and I, I, I was I was correct about this when it happened, that Beric's seventh death was going to be his last one. Yeah. So. And in the books, right? So in the books, he really... It's funny how Arya is there at this point in the show. Because, remember, he is... Arya is shouting at the Hound, like, just, just die. Like, she wanted the Hound to die so bad yeah. and lose, because she hates him. Can't stand him. And in the books, Beric makes an oath. Uh, that he will always protect Arya and try to return her to Catelyn Stark. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what he was trying to do. And every time Beric comes back in the books, he almost becomes more of a shell of himself. It describes him how he almost gets more of, I don't want to say memory loss, but he remembers less and less and less. And the more times he comes back in the books... Um, it gets to the point almost like all he can remember is just what his, his oaths are at that point as far as returning, you know, Arya to Catelyn and, and what's going on as far as that goes. Yeah, and while this is all going on, 
you know, let, let's let's jump back to our our favorite guy beyond the wall, Jon Snow. Uh, this is where he uh, becomes a man for the first time. He uh, like I love this quote because he brings it up. Oh, well, she brings it up later on. But he's with Ingrid, and like they have an argument, and like uh, what he does with Tormund and Orel, and then she brings him to like a, he she steals a sword and he chases it into a cave. And uh, they get to know each other in the biblical sense. The first time Jon Snow ever been with a woman, she turns him into a man, right? And, and her exact quote was, it's so sad when you figure out how this all ends later on. She says, uh, let's, let's not go back. Let's stay a while longer. I don't ever want to leave this cave, Jon Snow. Not ever. And Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, that was a great... Uh, great moment too because it really challenged John's thinking and how much he cared about her. Yeah, break You're the vows. Gonna risk it all. Vows. I want you to break them. That's what I she want said. You to break them. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to break them, Jon Snow. Hey, you know nothing. <laughs> you know nothing up in here. Uh, and real quick, as far as Barrett goes, I actually found a really cool quote that was um, from the books. It describes. Uh, there was a, the history as far as Barrett goes, he actually got hit pretty badly uh, by Sir Gregor at one point in his history. Um, and I think this was, uh, this was when he was actually under the, uh, fighting for Robert Baratheon, like a long time ago. Uh, but it said this, this next time he came back in the books, he was a scarecrow of men. He does not eat or sleep. He became the leader of the outlaw band, protecting them. Um, he lights the sword with his own blood, and, you know, he's basically a shell of himself at that point. So every time he came back, um... He said, yeah, he said it yeah, on the show, like, bits of me, like, like I, I lose bits of myself every time. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of sad, because Arya, like, asked me, can you bring a guy without a head back, you know, how much she misses her father. It's really sad. Yeah. But. Uh, which that actually happened, I looked up, uh, as far as when he was fighting for Robert Baratheon, they called that. Um, he was fighting a, against what's called uh, the Vulture King, and they actually led a little bit of an uprising uh, for just a minute, not by much, but it was basically this group of outlaws that was in this area that he fought for the Baratheons on, and they called them the Vulture King because when he finally defeated them, after coming back, of course, uh, Robert almost like how oh, Aegon did it. Um, they called him the Vulture King because they strung him up on all each ends and let the vultures pick out their insides. So that's yeah. always a really nice... I thought I'd give you a nice image there. Um, that's, yeah, let's... And back into, like, you know, Season 3 and, like, the uh, Storm of Swords, uh, this is... This is where things start happening in terms of treachery. Like, Locke presents Jamie to Roose Bolton, and, you know, the first thing that Roose Bolton should have done was send him back to Robb Stark. Right. He recaptured him, um, you know, send him back to Robb Stark, but he doesn't. He makes a deal with Jamie Lannister that you're going to go to King's Landing and as a goodwill, like, you're going to tell him, I have nothing to do with your maiming, um, you know. And while that's happening, like, Kyburn's cleaning up his his hand. Rickard Karstark kills Willem and Martin Lannister on that side. And we talked about this before, like, he, Rob has that choice to execute Ricard Karstark and not. If he does do it, they're going to leave. And uh, But the thing is with Rob, he always wanted like things to be ideal. And if he was more strategic about, hey, I can 
Like, things didn't need to be done like that. I could take my time with these decisions. The most important thing is fighting this war. Things would have been different. And so, you know, to kind of go back in, you know, because around this time is when Jamie was telling Brienne about the Mad King. We also get to know a little bit more about Stannis, uh, his family. He meets his, we meet his wife for the first time, see all the stillborn children in, like, the weird, like, chain, like, those, like, tubes with, like, the vinegar, like, the dead babies. Right, yeah. And uh, we meet, like, his daughter, Shireen, for the first time. He's got uh, the grayscale on her face. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. So I think that I think that's pretty cool because Davos is still a prisoner at this point for, uh, you know, trying to kill Melisandre, <laughs> which I can stab her. And, you know, so he, 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 we start to see a little bit more about Stannis' family and, all Stans is ever about is just duty, man. Like he like has no like real feeling. He he has some sort of love for his daughter, but like he's even okay sacrificing her later on. You know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't care. And one thing I didn't like about this show, in the books, there's nothing about them like regrowing children in jars. Yeah. Last time I checked, like that reminded me. I know we well, always bring up Rise of Skywalker as the I, big joke on the show. <laughs> I don't think that. They were regrowing the children. Of that I think she kept them as a remembrance that like I have yet to give you like a, a healthy son. I like it was almost like a, like because she was she was kind of off in the head as it was. Like, right. like she just kind of like, kept them there. Like you know how you you know if you take your appendix out and you see it and you're like oh that's my appendix. Like oh these are my baby boys that never survived. But I'm gonna stare at them every day. But who would want to ever do that? You pickled your baby boy. You yeah. literally pickled him. Yeah, you did. Hundred percent. Like, but she's not right in the head, and you know that. It's, it's, yeah. Especially as you start going on, like she's okay with uh, Melisandre having sex with Stannis. Like oh, no, no, yeah, no, exactly. No, I've done and so of the Lord is ever a sin. Like, like she's like like ashamed of her own daughter and stuff. Like she's not right in the head. So it, yeah. it kind of just goes you know to that. And also, uh, it, this we're talking about Melisandre. At this point, she appears to the Brotherhood after all that battle is done with like the Hound. And they let him go because he was judged like not innocent, but like that he he wasn't meant to die yet. He has a role to play later on. Melisandre appears to the Brotherhood and she takes Gendry. She does. Yeah, she <laughs> takes Gendry. And this is a big, big point, because this is when you get that famous awesome line. Ooh, I wrote this famous down. Word, word for word. Word for word. Goes up to Arya. Um, and she says, you know, I see this is the big, literally the big one. Yeah. Uh, yeah she I'll let it. you take it from here, because I don't want to rob you of your glory right now. I, this is my favorite quote <laughs> of, of all of it. And like, because it's a prophecy that doesn't come true. Like, it, it comes partially true, but it's uh, is, I mean, two out of three is not bad, right? <laughs> so, two out of three is not two bad. Two out of three is not I've bad. Fan theories, but uh, um, so she goes up to her, says, she says, "I see a darkness in you, and in that darkness, eyes staring back at me, brown eyes, blue eyes, and green eyes, eyes you will shut forever." And so we have a theory that the brown eyes are Walter Frey. Which, the, let's not ruin it for people that haven't seen the show yet. Well, I mean, I mean as far as... We've been following us at this point. We've told you everything that's happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've told you everything that's pretty much happened, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we won't go and tell exactly the get, but the blue right, eyes, we also too. understand. You know, the blue eyes we get. And, like, the thing is, with the green eyes, we, we don't know what happened there. Like, as, as of where it goes. I know you said you have a fan theory. Which, the theory is, the green eyes was the girl in season five. Okay. That's the fan theory I've heard. That's a terrible we'll theory. That later. Because, like, each one of those has, a, like, if it's who we think it is. Technically, she did have green eyes. 
Right. And the thing is, is like, if it goes into really significant people, right? Walter Frey massacred her, her mom and her her uh, brother and their thing. So right. Walter Frey with brown eyes, awesome. I get that. Blue eyes. If you've seen <laughs> season eight, you know who the blue eyes are. Uh, you know, so I get that. Awesome. Two pivotal characters. The green eyes. I I, I in my mind, I'm like Daenerys. I'm like she's gonna kill Danny. But it's only in the series that Danny has green eyes. In the book, she's got violet eyes, so it can't right. be her. Yeah, so it can't be, it can't be her. It can't. So we don't know who this green eyes is, but I think it's got to be somebody super important. Um, Which, taking a step back, does we kind of jump just like <laughs> We jump to the season eight. Jump <laughs> we we, we yeah. jump from the <laughs> season two, season eight. A big jump as far as that goes. As far as Jamie, I got a quick question on mm-hmm. Um... You know, Jamie has really come off as kind of smart and really cunning at this point. But do you think he's kind of been using Tywin as a crutch? Every single time, yes, 100%. Yeah. Anything anything at all. is like, my my father will pay this. My father will do anything to get me back. Like, like right. literally, like, yeah, if you well, if you harm me, you'll have the vengeance of my father. Like, exactly, everything, right. Everything is his father. So, yeah. I remember they were saying, like, we really don't give a shit about your father. Yeah. Like, we're sick of it. No, yeah. the, to the, your point, like, one of the another cool quotes... Uh, from Locke, the guy who cut Jamie's hand off, when he goes back to get Brienne from the bear pit, um, uh, he goes, uh, he's like, Locke says, taking your hand was worth more than all the gold in the land. This makes me happier than all the gold in the land. The fact that he took his hand from him. Right. So that that is, you know, that's crazy. But, I mean, outside outside of him being a master swordsman, there's not a lot that, you know, Jamie can hang his hat on, so it's always my father this, my father that. Yeah, exactly. And you now that he's not a master swordsman anymore, like, he's, he's got to answer the question in the short term. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, another thing, too, because, like I said, as this has been going on, we, we jump around from characters and plot lines. We're talking about Theon and Ramsay, and now that we've been kind of bringing up quotes a little bit, one great quote from Ramsay to Theon, because Theon's like, well, if I tell you, and if I get it right, you'll let me go. <laughs> and Ramsay's laughing, he says, if you think this has a happy ending, then you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> like, that was awesome. I think it's almost like a foreshadow of things to come. Oh, exactly. Like, you know what I mean? So it, that, that was pretty crazy. Um, and then we also get, like, you know, quoting, we get that chaos is a ladder speech. Right. And then we find out, because, like, the horror Rosalind uh, doesn't exist in the books, um, but she exists in the series, and Baelish has her killed, gives her to Joffrey for target practice. That was uh, with pretty, the crossbow. That sucked. That was brutal when you saw that in the yeah. show, and you know, she was pinned up against a wall, and the blood was dripping down her face. Right. And like, dude, the arrows was in her chest, was in her sick. crotch. Like, yeah. It sucked, man. And like, that was like, while like he's telling the whole story about how chaos is a ladder to Varys, like it's kind of going and showing right. any of those things, and there was a lot of good quotes and foreshadowing in, in season uh, three as well. There really was. And since we're on this whole Lannister topic, right? Um, actually, I figured I'd bring this up just for our viewers here. A little bit of history, because you know I'm obviously the history guy. <laughs> Jake Jason loves again. the history. <laughs> well, with the history, but Castle Rock, when it was founded, uh, way back before Game of Thrones, which I have this whole book, Song of, uh, History of Song of Ice and Fire, we'll get into that a whole other you know, arc at some point, but uh, Casterly Rock was really founded as, you know, kind of the gold mine for the Lannisters. Right. Um, 
going all the way back, it actually was this guy Casterly that found it, who was one of the original founders. Mm-hmm. Well, a guy that worked for him was actually one of the Lannisters' ancestors called Lan the Clever. Ironic, because Lan the Lannister. Well, Lan the Clever was really known for being very shysty, almost as far as Lord Baelish. Um, really worse than Lord Baelish, like a Joffrey if he mixed with Varys and Lord Baelish at the same time. Uh, but he was known as being a complete trickster, and basically what happened was he slowly and slowly kept having everyone, like as far as Casterly and everyone that was there, just encouraged them to keep exploring for new land. So they would keep running off for new land. And as this was going on, he would sit there and bet all their wives. So as this is going on, he's smashing all their wives, <laughs> and he's got all these bastard children. Well, basically what he did was he took all the bastard children, and they had this whole uprising, and basically there were so many people that were bastard children, they just gave him that area to Casterly Rock. And he handed it down. So it just goes back to show, just in a quick little thing here, the Lannisters, even though they have all the money, they really got it through the most bullshit, shysty way. Hey, by any means necessary, right? Lord Baelish rose by shysty means, yeah. too. And like, and I think it is like important that we talk about Casterly Rock that you mentioned, because... That's what the whole plot was for Rob Stark and why he needed the Freys to go after the Freys. Because after he lost Regard Karstark's men, he needed to replace them with the Freys' men to go take Casterly Rock. So yeah. it does play into what we're doing yeah. in Season 3. And I actually even have a quote here. So it even goes to show, so when the people would stay there, right? He had so many bastard children as they would sit down for dinner and all this stuff. It says, he was believed to have frightened everyone else out of the house. He kept telling them stories that it was haunted and would persuade them with his bastard children. So how screwed up is that? Like awesome. You would basically sit down at, for dinner at his house and be like, oh, this is such a great place, don't go upstairs, you're going to hear EVPs. <laughs> go upstairs, man, the table might move. So then basically, like, squatters' rights is how the Lannisters got all their money. That's awesome. Pretty screwed up. And, you know, kind of to reel us back to where we're at right now, because we, we haven't talked about her since we kind of started the show, but Daenerys... And you know, you know how each kind of family rose to their like prom- like the prominence, right? This is where she uh, she tricks Krasnus, right? She, yeah. She she tell like uh, she tells him that they'll give him one dragon, and she'll take all the instead. He said, "I want the biggest dragon." She said, "Deal." Now, little did you know Krasnus know that you can't control a dragon, especially yeah, if you right. you know you're not yeah. its mother or anything to it. Mm-hmm. So she gives the dragon. Uh, to him, like on that little like leash type deal, he's holding it there. He's excited, and she said, "Is it done?" He said, "It's done." And then she made sure, I mean, commanded them to like move ten pay like two paces or whatever. And when she realized that she had full thing, she said, "Kill all the masters and uh, uh, free all the children's slaves." And they did it. And they when uh, Crassus tried to take them back and said, "No, no, kill her, kill her," they they listened to her because she had the whip. And then she mm-hmm. turns around and says, your favorite word, bro? Chakaris. 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 And he's like, the uh, uh, Drogon just blows some fire right Absolutely in Krasnus' face. So that Absolutely was awesome. Phenomenal. And going back into what she took over as far as that army, a great worm even said, once she broke them free, it meant so much to them that they would wind up fighting for them, for her. As free people. She said... You know, why do you go by Grey Worm? And he said, the names remind us that we are vermin. 
And then she said, well, today I want you to choose a new name. And he said, no, I'm going to keep the name Grey Worm because it's more worn as, like, a badge of honor. It's reminding us that you set us free. Yeah, it's a lucky name. Like, my, my maiden name is when I got taken as a slave, and the name I have now is when Daenerys Stormborn set me yeah. free. And uh, another thing just to throw in there, <laughs> someday was really, like, what, 12 in the book? Yeah, we talked about this like a little bit. 10, 12, man. <laughs> yeah, and that was part of the deal, too. So when you bring her up, like... She said, no, I want Miss Sunday. Yeah, and in the books, remember, she was really just thrown as a token. He didn't even want her. <laughs> yeah, so that's another thing that's a little bit different. Um, Ooh, and now that we're still with working with uh, with Danny here, so after she she takes the Unsullied and Conquers Ash supporters, she moves on to Yunkai. Now she's got this, like, this oh, her own thing that she's going on. Instead of just taking over Westeros, like, taking back her, the Iron Throne, now she's going to, like, she almost has a secondary mission that I'm going to free all the slaves from the slave cities. Oh, yeah. So she goes on her way to Yunkai, and the Yunkai people go, like, like, like the, the, one of the masters, uh, wise masters of Yunkai, goes to her tent and gives her a bunch of gold, tries to, like, he said, you can have all the ships you want, just, like, you know, don't start a fight with us, like, you're not going to find us as easy to conquer as Astapor. Like, can, like, honestly, he did give fair terms. I will say, he did objectively, terms, yeah. like, he gave her, like, all the shifts and all the gold that she would need to go back and take Westeros. So, wild, like, you know, that she didn't. But now she's on this whole, like, I'm a savior type deal. And she's like, well, you gotta free the slaves. And he's like, dude, no, you're crazy. That's, like, like that's all of our, like, how we get our money. Like, things like oh, slave yeah. trading. So, and remember what she said. So, he's, she, he's like, she's like, well... You can leave if you want to. And then he goes, okay, all right, give me the gold back. And she said... It's a gift. It's a gift. I'm going to take it. And he said, well, you promised me I would be safe. Once, of course, Drogon's over there screaming in his face, right? And she said, I made that promise. My dragon made, made no, no promise. such promise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And it's awesome because when you kind of master, you know what he said? You're mad. Yeah. Foreshadow. Foreshadow. <laughs> calls, calls her mad. Yeah. Once so, again, I remember what we were saying. Yeah. If there's any... Intention that you think they just came up with this ending and pulled it out their ass. It was, it was from the beginning, man. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and so another thing, too, now that we're, we're kind of talking about like people's stories and arcs and how they differ from the books and the series, uh, back to Melisandre and Gendry. Gendry doesn't find out yet that Robert Baratheon uh, is his actual father. But yeah. in the TV series, Melisandre tells Gendry that he's a father. And I always thought it would be cool myself, if Gendry ended up being king of the Seven Kingdoms by the whole time this is over, we don't know, right, because the, the books are still the books, uh, haven't come out yet, so we don't know who's actually going to be the, the king of the, the Seven Kingdoms when it's all said and done. I doubt it's going to be Gendry, but it would kind of be uh, very, um, like, serendipitous, like a full circle, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Robert, Robert, it started with Robert Baratheon being the king, and, like, you know, his... You know, for, I mean, honestly, he was the oldest of all the bastard children, right? Yeah. So, like, it's like his oldest son kind of comes back around, even though he is born from like a tavern wench or whatever it might have been. So, I always thought that'd be uh, a cool, like, full circle moment, but uh, well, well, that remains to be seen. And well, remember, you know, her Melisandre's whole thing was, you know, she was trying to get a piece of the king's blood. Yeah, needs the blood. Yeah, it needs mm -hmm. the blood. And which comes into play in the next, really, the next couple episodes. Here's um, the question: Do you think, do you think the show really had a chance to go on an arc to make him 
an argument to be the rightful king and they just didn't want to run with it? No, I don't. I, I, like, I, this is what I think, because Daenerys offered him Storm's End, which is honestly, if you're not going to make him king, that's what you need to make him, is like the, the um, true lord of Storm's End, mm-hmm. right? So... I, I don't. I don't. I don't hate the fact that they didn't. Like, I, like but I just think that the, that's something that was never an option to them. Yeah. They're like, no, no. Like, we've got we've got Jon Snow. We've got yeah. we've got Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah. We've got Cersei. We got all these people that could be the king or like queen. <laughs> the clash of a yeah. hundred kings. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like, why does Gendry get any sort of claim outside of being like like low yeah. baseborn? So because like, remember, like Jon Snow is not really a bastard, right? But people don't. Right. We don't know that yet. Yeah, they don't know but, that yet. Uh, so it's just like there's so many other options. I think that they just like yeah, that's not gonna be what we go with. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and and this is the part too because now that we, we're talking about um, like people who have claim to the throne, like Jamie Lannister was had claim to Casterly Rock, but he's part of the King's Guard, and he sw- that means he swore off being able to take marriage and, and inherit lands. And so he, uh, you know, and while we're talking about Jamie here too. This is this is probably the biggest foreshadow quote that you will find. The well, outside of Robert Baratheon talking about a Daenerys Targaryen in his first season, I'll say that. But Jamie Lannister says this because now he's getting ready to leave to King's Landing. Leave like Bruce Bolton allows him to leave uh, and be taken to King's Landing. This is what Jamie says: "Tell Rob Stark I'm sorry I couldn't make his uncle's wedding. The Lannisters send their regards." And that's are uh, gonna find out and quite that how happens. exactly yeah. big that was, and you know, right at around that time too. Jumping back, like right from there, it flips to your your part that you were talking about um, with Theon and uh, how Miranda <laughs> seduces yeah, Miranda, him. And, uh, and but what did they do? They they took it. <laughs> you almost get this whole Fifty Shades of Grey right here, right? Like it's. Uh, like somewhat sexual, you're almost like sitting there thinking like, okay, maybe like Theon is like, maybe the torture's over for just a minute. Maybe they're caring for him. Like maybe like everything's okay. And she starts like stripping him down, stripping him down for a minute, and the other girls like getting in on it. Like it's very like Fifty Shades of Grey. Like almost like you stepped it up. Like uh, what's the second one called? Tortured. I, I've never, seen <laughs> I've never watched that shit. Um, no offense, but yeah. And then she's like literally having sex with him. And as she's doing that, then guess he comes, who comes in. Out. Doesn't let him finish one last time. And it's what? Very, a, what? A very foreshadowing because he. It's almost like someone on their deathbed. How they give him that best meal before they die. Yeah. Like enjoy some of the best sex of your life. And. Because you're not gonna ever use this again. But like he didn't even allow, like didn't allow him to finish either. Like like that's what like sucks. Like he got him like aroused to the point where like you know if he can do one last thing and Ramsay's like nope I'm that I'm that fucked up in the head that I'm just gonna torture you. Yeah, yeah. Taking yeah. the whole thing fucking off. That's exactly what it so, was. Yeah. Yeah, he castrates Theon and sends it to his father in a box. <laughs> Pretty sick. <laughs> so, Which if you go back to history, like that, you wonder if like George R. R. Martin like thought of this. Like, you know, the history, because remember, Picasso, like, fell in love with that girl, cut his ear off, and sent that girl in the box. <laughs> You're like, is he taking pieces of history here, but then making it kinky? Because right. this is very, uh, very interesting. See, if you wanted to spice well, it up, Fifty Shades of Grey. The reason he sent it back to, um, Balon Greyjoy is because he wanted to get all the Ironborn out of the North. He said, get all, get, he, and that, no, he said, to get all the Ironborn scum out of the North, and that, 
Uh, he's, he's sent uh, yeah. the, he sent him the dick in the box. <laughs> get my dick in a box. Literally, <laughs> on Greyjoy had Theon's dick in a box. No, so. I want to get you a diamond ring. That's right. And, uh, yeah. Um, as, as we, <laughs> so I can't tell me anything. <laughs> oh, that's so he, good. We got the, uh... <laughs> It's Justin Timberlake. JT, man, if you're listening to this, please come on the show and just sing the Dick in the Box song. We'll put you on repeat, bro. We'll we'll, we'll slide you in here somehow, like, edit you into season three. We'll edit you in, so just just call in and just say Dick in a Box over and over and over, JT. Heard you're going on tour with that shit. (laughs) Anyways, uh... Yeah, man, so you the... To kind of get back into where we, we were talking about, uh, he, he gets that uh, gift, and, and Balon's like, dude, I don't care, he's not really my son, and Yara's like, no, I'm going to take, like, 50 of our best fighters, or 200 of our best fighters, go storm uh, the Dreadfort and, and get my brother back, and we find out how that works out later on. Which, let's kind of stay on the Ramsey thing for a minute, because one thing that was freaking hilarious was when he would come out with the trumpet like he was in the band. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like, I hope you got what you wanted because here comes daddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, he's like, mercy. He's like, this is mercy. I'm not killing you. Never give you mercy. <laughs> oh, man. Jeez. Um, but I love how we're talking about foreshadowing. One other thing I really wanted to talk about for just a minute was... Um, Beric and Arya going way back. It's funny because Beric always kept talking about the Red God, and then she always said, "You know, my God is the God of Death." And what is that foreshadowing? Yeah, yeah, for real too. Is uh, you know what she got that from? And now that you you know we're talking about Beric and we talk about the Hound, this is where like Arya runs away because they find out like like they're not going straight to River Run. Now she runs away, and the Hound captures Arya, which you know. Arya hates the Hound, but really is going to be thankful for him later yeah. on, especially you know, at the end of this this season. And while this is all happening, Jon Snow and Egret, after they you know have their little little affair in the cave, they're yeah. kind of well, whatever. Oh, he tells them they're going to fail. Like he tells them that they're non-disciplined, they're unorganized. The Wildlings are going to fail, and this is where she kind of like, it all clicks for everybody that you know, no matter what he does, he broke the vows. He's still going to be a man of the night's watch because he doesn't say. I, all of us will die," he said. "All right. of you will die. All of you will die." And she said, "Us, Jon Snow." And like you know, so you realize that you know that internal struggle is over. He's still a crow. Which going back to you know when this whole thing is going down, uh, you know we're kind of jumping around kind of episodes here because we're flying through things. But even as far as episode seven, when we were talking about Jamie That's and right. all that stuff, right? Um, well, remember when <laughs> Jamie tried to use. The leverage of his dad after his hands cut off. And then they told him, they said, how about you go buy a golden hand and go fuck yourself with it? <laughs> and, and true, like, remember, like, he's like, I must insist that Brian comes with me and Bruce Bolton's like, he, I thought he, you, you would have learned to overplay, not to overplay your hand. And then, Yeah, <laughs> literally, it's like all the yeah. foreshadowing here is absolutely phenomenal. Here's a question. Absolutely phenomenal. But here's a question. Do you, would you call Jamie honorable? Like, uh, uh, is he an honorable guy? I mean, I would say yes, yes because he fights for what he believes in. I would call him honorable because he's never lied about what he's done. Like, well, he's what about using Tywin as a crutch all the time? I mean, I mean he, 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 I don't know if that makes him less honorable as a person. At the end of the day, like, 
he's got he's got nothing now. He's got he no sword hand. He's got the last name, and that's about it. He's getting older. He can't make children. Like well, he he can, but as a part of the vows of being a king's guard, he can't father any children. Like yeah. So really, like all he's got claim to is you know his father's name and you know power. So I still I, my answer is yes. I think that he's honorable because he saved Brienne when he didn't have to from being raped. They go back for Brienne. Like, he tells that one guy who takes me, he's like, we're going back to there to get her. Because Kyburn's like, oh, they, they made a ransom, and, and uh, uh, they said they'll, they'll pay him however many gold crowns. He's like, oh, that's a fair offer. He's like, well, Locke turned it down because he was under the impression that uh, you, he was going to send out, like, the sapphires, and that's where they were mined. And Jamie's like, shit. Like, I told him that, and now we've got to go back for her. And the guy's like, we're not going back. He's like, well, we've got a couple choices, to your point about yeah. using his father. He's like, I can either tell my father that you're the one that cut my hand off, <laughs> or I can say that you saved me, and you brought me safely. <laughs> so either we're going back for Brienne, or you're in trouble, pretty yeah. much. So he does use his dad as a crutch, but he does it sometimes for the right reasons, and that's why I think that... Um, He's, uh, I, I think he's an honorable guy when it all comes down to it. And, you know, to your point about you know that being in episode seven, like, that kind of leads us here into episode eight. Which uh, uh, let's not forget, you know, like you were saying, yeah. Again, I'm a little chalice here. Don't worry, we got some backups coming. Through, some foreshadowing. Backup. Foreshadowing. We're, we're filling up our cups, <laughs> um, right? But, Jamie, it's almost like, if you think about... Let me go ahead and fill you up here. Yeah. Do a little little chalice going. Now that we're talking about our foreshadowing. Don't worry, that's why I gotta... <laughs> oh, yeah. That's Bud. So we got a little, little Ravage Savage. Woo! Woo! The Ravage Savage. Good stuff. Anyways, right? Jamie, if you start thinking intellectually in how his art goes, and how his history has played out for him throughout the arc of entire series of Game of Thrones. Every time he tries to be the hero, as you notice, goes wrong. it doesn't play out for him. Is he still, and every time he's been the hero, even going all the way back when he was the Kingslayer, it still doesn't play out for him. Right. Is he still reaping karma from the shit he did to Bran? Bran, all the way back in season one, do you think it's like, that's just part of Jamie's arc. Is yeah. he's, it's supposed to show, you know, unfortunately, this is just the way things go. Like, not everything's happening. But it's weird, because, like, I think, I think we have a good point, because before, you know, before this series started, like, Jamie Lannister, he, he was famous, he was great, sort of, like, he had everything going for him. And nothing really bad happened to him until after he killed the Mad King, and then when he pushed Bran out the window. So, like, all these things... You know, start happening afterwards, but before that, like, he was, like, one of the most desirable bachelors in all of, like, you know, Westeros, like, Jamie Lance, like, his dad was so proud, like, my, like, you remember back in, like, season one, Jamie's been claiming little glory all over the land while he'd been prisoner of the yeah, area, and exactly, things yeah. like that, so, yeah, it could, it could be, you know, some continuous karma for the bad things that he's done. Um, ah, good point, I, I, you know, I didn't really think about that, that's pretty cool. So now we're kind of jumping into, of course... 
you know, the bear fight happens, right, before we get into yeah. the next episode. Well, and yeah, he, he, saves, he saves her from, from the bear pit. Like, he goes down there, jumps in with like, one hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, I felt like that could have been a lot more better trade-out. I thought you saw this badass bear, almost like something from Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> Dr. Doolittle. Like, I was expecting Eddie Murphy to come out of nowhere and save the day. Because they just pretty much sat there and roared at him the well, entire time. Well, you saw time. the gash on her neck, but no, he didn't see anything. They crawled bear. out of a pit. Yeah, right. They were handed a Ladder. Well, she she boosted up, jumped in like they had that weird like wrong to hang on. They put but if you go up, later like, seasons, remember they fought that badass zombie bear. <laughs> that was a whole different story, right? Uh, yeah. But now we're kind of jumping into actually my personal favorite character, and that's when we're really introduced. Yeah, the Dario Naharis, the Hario Naharis, which that's I've been right. bringing up since what episode one? I've been talking about. even all the way back to when we were talking about like The Witcher and Star Wars. Man, I've talked about the Hario Naharis. Yeah, and then Dario Naharis is, is great in this sense, is that. Like he he does everything he wants out of like he he said I'll we'll go into the quotes in a second because I think it's important that we also talk about like when the you know Yunkai like ends up hiring the second sons to fight for them against Daenerys' army. Um, you know they only had what two thousand second sons and they had eight thousand unsullied. But uh, there's three captains, right? There's Miro, who's the son of the Titan. There's Daria Naharis, and then what was the third man's name? And the third guy was, I, uh, first of all, I'm terrible with names, so correct me, viewers, uh, listeners, if I pronounce this wrong, just put it in the comments. I put Trimpal Nagason. Nagason? Okay. Trimpal Nagason. I mean, he, he was like the, bad, yeah. the wisdom, like the right. wise one, almost. And Mira was like the arrogant, they call him the, the, I hated the that Titan's guy. bastard. Right? Couldn't stand yeah, him. Yeah, the Titan's Couldn't bastard. Him. The way he goes down... Uh, in the books, and it's different. So, <laughs> yeah. like, like Barris and Selmy still hasn't really told Danny who he is, and you know she's kind of going through the lines of people when he dies. I know I'm going kind of forward about this, but you know Darian Harris kills kills them and takes like their heads to her in the series. Yeah. Where in the books, Barris and Selmy fights him and, and kills him. Mm -hmm. So just a little bit of difference there. But meeting Darian Harris, it's really cool for the first time. And like we said, we really love. This actor as Darian Harris because he introduced something and a character that we haven't seen before. He tells Dan, like he fights for love. <laughs> you know, he's like, what, what do you tell his partners? He said, the God gods gave us two forms of entertainment. Uh, you know, before we before we die forever, um, women to sleep with and people to kill. Yeah, like, those are those two thrills. Like, like, like. So everything he does is out of those. <laughs> I do gotta say this because he is my favorite character. Uh, I actually have that quote in quote. Is that the gods give us two things? Fucking, fucking a girl that wants to be fucked. I hate acting that way, but this is actually a quote. <laughs> and then he says, "Killing a man that wants to kill you." Yeah. So he, the way I always think of Dahario Naharis, which is why he is my favorite. He almost reminds me of the Punisher in Marvel. <laughs> like, as when John Bernthal played him so well in the TV series. Like, he's the guy that fights for what's right, but he's still going to do it his way. And it's not even thinking he fights for what's right. Like, like he, he, he wants Daenerys back. He's like, eh, I Like, one of the things that like, quotes, too, is that... Because uh, he, he doesn't give a shit. He, he's a, he's a sellsword. Like, he literally yeah. kills people for money. So he's not that he fights for the right things, but... Like, once he finds something that he wants to fight for, it's all, all bets are off the table. Like, he puts himself in single combat for Daenerys, remember, like, that? Like, yeah. He'll do anything. We'll like, get yeah, that later. Later on, like, it's, it's amazing. Episode, but, like, um, 
what he does. Like, I mean, this whole thing started because Nero, the rat he was, uh, was talking shit straight to Daenerys, acting yeah, like he was yeah, the guy. Yeah, I have the quote here, and it's not yeah. very appropriate. I mean, it's, it's a quote. Give it, you want to say it? Give it to me. Where is it? You want oh. to read that? I don't know if I wish yeah. to say that one. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, if you watch the, the show, you watched it. So, Miro, he tells, he tells Daenerys, show me your cunt. Like, yeah. literally, he's, like, just, like, talking down, degrading her as it's a woman. dirty word. Like, legit. Yeah. Anything that, uh... And, you know, I say a lot of things on the show, right. and it's, like, In a man. way, he was, like, that Krasis guy, but, like, saying the shit to her, so everyone, like, so he knew that she was gonna understand. Like, he just had a lack of respect for her, because he saw her as just a little woman that's oh, not Just a woman, yeah. Right? So, like... Pretty disrespectful. Very, very right, disrespectful. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that, that's, uh, kind of spelled the beginning of the end for him. Um, and remember Grey Worm in the old Valyrian, he said, would you like me to cut out his tongue? Yeah. And she says the cunningness and the patience she has to make sure it's played out her way. Right. She says, well, I'm drunk. Yeah. And these are our guests. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it just goes to show. Yeah. And remember here, the second sons, um, Basically, what they did was they were hired, um, right, to win wars, is basically how they were. And they had contracts. And to make sure they couldn't just jump between people with whoever was going to be the winning side, they even mention it in the show. So the contract actually um, is a symbol, which this is in the books, of a broken sword on sand. Um, but it actually comes from noble-worthy words uh, for the meaning of inheritance. And basically what it was is whoever they signed the contract with, they can never break that contract. So they're immediately tied to them. So as far as, you know, what basically went on, and I mean, to really stand, it really speaks something to say, I would say in a one-on-one battle, Dahario and Harris could probably beat the shit out of Grey Worm. If you think about right. it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The odds would definitely be in that. No matter what the training we just said, I mean, these guys were the top of the top. They were basically like Navy SEALs. Kind of, yeah. Like Green Beret. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't right. get any better so, than these guys. Um, I, but my point is, is what he had to do in order to stand up for her when you're going back with the heads. It really makes you realize, like, wow, like, was it lust but he really fell in love with this girl out of all two, all two minutes, right? I'm talking like, to a, a 180 turn <laughs> and turned on everything he thought and stood for and it. cut off both his captain's heads. Remember, he was a lieutenant at the time right. when this happened. Right. So, and this is what this show is about: putting yourself in that character perspective. I mean, well, I would. It, you want to stand up for what's right, but would you really do that? At and the like, moment? I don't even think it was. Like I said, I never think this is about what's doing what's right for Darina Harris. It's like doing what he wants, and that's like that's almost the other quote that he gave. So I remember when he came back to Daenerys with like the heads, he said, uh, "I was chosen to bring them your head," and then I said, "I didn't want to." And they said, well, you have no choice. And I said, I am Daryna Harris, and I always have a choice. Yeah. They drew their swords, and I drew mine. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, like, it's, it, that was cool. You know, I, I, he, he's a great character. And, um, you know, as we, this, you know what, too, I wanted to talk about, you know, even stepping away from 
Daenerys and what's going on in, in Essos. Really pulling back here because we we kind of not done like the Stan aside justice yet. If we if we kind of go through here and, and you were talking about earlier about the the leeches and taking the king's blood from Gendry. Um, Stannis, who had imprisoned Davos, goes down to visit Davos for the first time, and like you start to see, like Stannis starting to second guess, like, am I really doing the right thing by using this blood magic? And like he's like, Davos is like telling them all the reasons why, like you shouldn't, like he's just a boy, he's never wronged you, really wronged you, so you know you could, you you, you were in your right to, you know, punish him, but this guy's never done anything. Like rethink this, you don't want to do this. You wouldn't have come to me down here if you thought this was the right thing. You want me to talk you out of this, and that's the whole point. Which this is pretty funny to bring up in the show. Like we always talk about, you know, we of course we don't agree with rapes for women and all that, and we think we should stand up against it. But do you realize a lot of guys are raped in this season? <laughs> like, it's like, wow, like, what's going on here? And then it always comes back with some... For some reason, I have no idea why, but it's like the good guys <laughs> in this entire book can't win. Like, yeah. a good guys when cannot Sandra win. When seduces Gendry there, yeah. yeah. Puts him there. Remember <laughs> that? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, because, like, I, I know I'm putting a quote that's, like, from the next episode, but he, like, uh, when Davos was talking to Gendry, and so he's like, you're me. You've never been with women before. And then she comes at you. Like, what did you yeah. expect me to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, remember, like, maybe you go all the way back, we're jumping uh, good ways here, which this is going to be for a, uh, definitely about a month from now. But there's a quote that he says in the episode Beyond the Lake to the Hound, and he said, She seduced me, she stripped me naked, she put leeches on me, and the Hound says, sounds Yours like doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, it sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a good time. For sure, yeah. But that raises a good point, right? Like, it's almost like these guys keep getting their innocence taken from them, yeah. I guess because we're guys, they're like, whatever, man, you'll be fine. That's it'll kind of it'll all be alright, man. Like there's no who cares? <laughs> you're just a bunch of you're just a bunch of filthy boys. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And now kind of to jump to King's Landing, and I think this is important to, to bring up here. This actually is, is super important to this season in particular. Uh, this entire time, like Cersei and Marjorie are having this like war with each other that's silent. Like like they're both like both trying to understand. Yeah, exactly, and stuff. yeah. And so Cersei starts telling Marjorie about the story of, of uh, Lord Castamir. And so, guys, I want to get into the story of Castamir a little bit, because that's going to go into the next episode, the name of the next episode. You guys, you know, if you've seen it, you know what happens. But basically, the, the story of House Rain. So, House Rain was the second biggest, or the second strongest house in all of Westeros at one point in time. And like the, they, they like basically spat on the boots of the Lannisters, saying like, you know, we don't owe you anything. You know, who am I? It's like honestly, the first line of the song is like, who am I, or who are you to have me bow so low? Meaning like, you know, we're just as good, if not better, than you. So, you know, you can't tell us shit. Basically, we're right. our own people. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> what ends up happening is uh, Cersei's like, I remember 
uh, uh, all of House Rain. We, we uh, killed the entire house and strung them up all summer, and that summer lasted three years. So like, I mean, they watched the bodies rot for three years, and so no one else is, is left of House Rain. And she's like, now the Tyrells are the second strongest family in Westeros. Basically kind of giving her a reminder, hey, if you try to undermine us, we'll, we'll, we've done it before, we'll do it again, we'll take your whole house out. Yeah, so, exactly. And why that's important is because in the next episode... When they play the Reigns of Casimir at the wedding, that's when Catelyn starts, starts to realize things are going wrong, something's not right, because that song is not a joyous song that you play at a wedding. And, um, you know, really, the, you know, just not to sing it, but to give you the words of the song, it's, uh, um, he says, uh, Now the rains weep o'er his halls, and not a soul to hear. So basically, anytime it rains and like pours against their castle, there's no one there to hear the drops hit. Right. So like their whole entire <laughs> their whole entire like family's gone, and that's going to be uh, um, really important for this next episode there. So um, on, on top of that too, going back here uh, towards the end of, of, of episode eight, Sam. Ends up, you remember he was kind of in that little shack trying to start that fire for Gilly, and then all the crows kept cawing, right? And when they were cawing, you didn't really know what was going on until you start realizing, like, it's not natural, it's not just regular, and what ends up appearing, right? A White Walker. So they think that they should, like, oh, he's come for my son. And so, like, the White Walker's appearing, and Sam tries to, like, swing his sword at him. You know, Sam's not a brave guy, not good at his fighting, but he does his best, throws a sword at it. The White Walker grabs the sword and just squeezes, and the whole thing shatters and just knocks Sam to the side. Yeah. Right? And so he's, like, the, the White Walker's running right up to the baby, and Sam, like, just grabs the only thing he's got left on him, which happens to be the, the Dragonstone, and runs up and just puts it in the shoulder of the White Walker, and the White Walker explodes, like, just dies. And so at that point in time, now you know that these White Walkers have a weakness, something can kill them, and th of all people, ends up being Sam, <laughs> who Sam, finds right? out that Dragonstone's a yeah. weapon. So we already know that Valyrian Steel, well, not, we don't know Valyrian Steel yet, we know that Fire kills White Walkers, and we know that uh, Dragon Glass uh, kills White Walkers as well. Which is funny, because they really, in this show, they just came across the Dragon Glass, and yeah, what I actually just pulled up for you was the lyrics to the Reigns of Castamir, mm. and I'm actually going to give Josh... Uh, his moment of glory here. Oh, I'm not saying to tell you this. Lyrics, <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted. I know he's. Josh is the uh, history guru on Castamere, man. He was educating me earlier. Well, just because, like, you know, obviously you guys know Rob Stark's my, my favorite character. And, you know. He's a Stark guy on the Targaryen. I'm really not a Stark guy. That's the craziest, that's the craziest part. Well, I remember, really like, in the beginning, we, we were talking about, like, whose house we most, like, identify with. And I was like, you know what? I kind of identify with Braun more than anything. This yeah, is so, yeah. So, you know, kind of. Yeah. Like, Build your own self up with no name and, and figure it out from there. Um, so yeah, no, like the the Reigns of Castamir, you guys, you know, basically, like I said, the, the song tells the tale of House Rain and what happened. And uh, do you want me to say lyrics? No, I mean, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I just wanted to see like at the chorus what I wanted to make sure. Actually, was, pretty uh, interesting if you think of it. Yeah. Um, That's it. And so he spoke. So he spoke to that Lord of Castamir. Now the rains weep over halls with not a soul to hear. Yeah, like, so that's... It's pretty, yeah, pretty good. Um, I mean, I love this part where it said, A coat of gold, a coat of red. A lion still has claws. And mine are long and sharp, my lord, my lord as long and sharp as yours. 
And so he spoke, and so he spoke, that Lord of Castamere. Yeah. And now the rains weep over his halls when no one dare to hear. Yeah. So it's literally showing, basically, whoever... He disrespected the Lannisters for the lion, being the lion. Completely. Like, uh, I remember he said the Lannisters in their regards. Well, this that yeah, that goes into a little bit different from um, what ends up happening in the Red Wedding for Bruce Bolton. That, that's, yeah, that's something separate, but the, the, the song itself... Is, is a cautionary tale because like at this point by the end of the season almost all the Starks are gone. <laughs> but can you think of this point whereas we haven't gotten there yet but if you hear that song playing and you're a Stark and you're sitting there like at a wedding this has nothing to do with any of these people. Yeah. This has nothing to do with any of these people. If anything it's a big ass slap in the face is what it is. Well, like, like it was, like it was a warning in a way, like, and like no one else thought it because, like, everyone else is enjoying the wedding, and you know what? I mean, really, after that, Sam killing that White Walker, really kind of getting into the Reigns of Castamere episode, where yeah. it happens. Which we were talking about weddings, though. So let's jump back a little bit. During this time, one thing we kind of skipped over was Tyrion's wedding. Yeah, yeah. Which, as you kind of see, you know, Tyrion does not like what's going on Mm-mm. at all. Um, and, you know, the whole time, he, he he has respect for Sansa as far as telling them, you know, we got to start wrapping this up pretty soon. But he has respect for Sansa as in telling her, kind of trying to tell her in secret what's going on. And you still kind of get the sense of Sansa really doesn't have respect for Tyrion. No, like she thinks that he's just like all the other Lannisters that are out there hurt him. Yeah. He's really, in, his heart's in a good place trying to like, like, like I promise you this is not what I want. Like, I, I'm going to do my best to make the best of the situation. Like, he even swears off like sleeping and bedding with her. And he's just going to sell my watch. Yeah. Things, right? And remember, during the wedding, what he tells Joffrey. Oh, about the, yeah, with, that's a good point too that you bring up. So there will be no that's wedding ceremony. He's like, unless you want to be fucking a new bride with a wooden cock, exactly. he snaps the knife down on the table. He threatens the king there, and so that was that. Was, I mean, imagine that you're threatening the you know perceived most powerful man. And and I feel like Tyrion. The only reason he went along with it was because of Tywin, because Tywin almost pressured him into. Press him. I'm sure he's had a lot to drink. Yeah. And then finally, he's like, "Oh, I'm so right, sorry." Right. You can't let that disrespect slide. Like you know, that's yeah. true. Um, um, but yeah, let's let's jump into cool. a little bit about when Rob Stark arrives at the twins in the books. It made such, Catelyn Stark made such a big deal about like uh, Lord Frey. Uh, you know, if we're guests of your house, bring us uh, bread and salt because like the reason why that's really important is there's a, a law like, like the law of men and guests at, at your place. If you serve uh, someone bread and salt, they're under your protection and like. It's like the, the greatest sin to murder someone that you have offered bread and salt with. And so because she always had like the sneaking suspicion of like, you know, not trusting Walter Frey, she thought like the salt and the bread was going to protect them. Where in the series, it doesn't really kind of go into that. You see them eating the salt, um, but it, it definitely um, goes more in depth on what that means and the significance of it in the books. And another thing too that we mentioned all this time, Rob Stark, he starts growing farther and farther apart from Grey Wind. He doesn't allow him in the halls and the meetings anymore. And like they've they requested that he be like put into the stables by the horses at, at the uh, twins, and so like he just goes along with it. But like this entire time, half of his battles were won because 
his connection with Grey when he scares the crap out of Jamie Lannister when he brings him into the thing right. downtown. Like, so he like not only is he making mistakes now, he's not even like using the protection of you know this powerful direwolf. Like dogs, if you know this, and like why I think it's significant, canines and really animals in general. They tend to sense when something's wrong. And you remember Always. when they went to the went to the, the cross, like the yeah. to the the twins, the gray one was growling at the men, and that's like they use that as an excuse of why they were afraid of him to put him in the stable. Mm-hmm. So that way, like the like they would have known that he would have the gray one would have known something was wrong right. in, in the in the hall. And that's another mistake that Rob makes. You know, and they just keep adding up. They they just keep adding up, and that one was. I wouldn't say the most fatal because I think probably it would have happened anyways with or without Grey One, but it definitely would have been a lot harder to do, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's something that is really, really noteworthy that we needed to mention is the fact that he's been slowly distancing himself from Grey Wind as it goes on. Yeah. And also, because Talisa doesn't exist in the books, he's married to a girl named Jean. Uh, we're also wondering... Jada his, Westerling. Right, yeah. right. And we don't know uh, if she... Ends up being Gene Poole or not, who was actually Sansa's best friend back in Winterfell, like Gene Grey. Becomes the Dark Phoenix. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's ironic. It's funny for Sansa, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now, like they they arrive there. Rob Stark makes his apology to like the like all the Frey girls that he kind of yeah. scorned and and all of that. Um, you know, and then this you know while this is all going on there, his you know half-brother, Jon Snow, he is near Brandon Recon and Hodor for the first time. Like, they're up in that little, like, lighthouse thing while the wildlings are crossing through, and they they, they, get, they trap the man, the, the guy that was had the horse stables, and they order Jon Snow to kill him to prove he's not a crow. Yeah. And then... They find out he's they a find crow. They find out he's still a crow. Mm-hmm. But what's awesome is Bran helps out Jon. Not, not only, like, this is a big part because he uses his mind tricks to calm down Hordor, knocks him out so they don't hear him up there, but he also wargs into the wolves. And yes. So Jon gets to see uh, Summer and Shaggy Dog again, yeah, which is really, really awesome. awesome. And, like, they, they went and awesome. helped him out. They attacked, like, the wildlings. He ends up getting away. Um, for for you know a little bit till Eager finds him and he still gets away but she she does him some damage <laughs> right and um, which I'm glad you said that because yeah. it makes me want to jump back for just a second here as far as foreshadowing uh, when you mentioned Bran because one thing we didn't bring up when Sam killed the White Walker with the dragon glass one thing you see immediately after is all the ravens. Right. Uh, which was all like almost like foreshadowing if you think later on for as far as Bran, you know, with the three-eyed raven. Um, so that's one thing. It's like you have these tiny little details throughout this entire novel and this entire season, and it's very easy to just skim past it in the show, but they play such a big role yeah. later on. Like, remember, you know, which we'll get into this way later on, but getting into the later seasons as far as what Bran does and how he is able to track you know, what's going on with the whites. Yep. Um, and then one other thing, I did find this little quote that I do want to share because I thought it was pretty badass, just because Dario and uh, Horus is my favorite, so I got to throw this in there real quick. And it does get pretty Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, there is that scene where, remember, he literally jumps in with the heads, like you said, and she's in the tub, <laughs> right? She gets up. And it... <laughs> He kneels down to her almost like he's about to propose, and she has nothing on at this point. And he swears himself, 
Which you gotta my think, heart. He was such a smart yeah. Which you gotta think of what that meant for him. They never break contracts. Like these guys are the top of the top. They'll do anything to fulfill their oath. And he swears himself to her, which means he had to see something in her and where her heart was going. And he said, My sword is yours, my heart is yours, and my life is yours. Like what that's saying, if that's not fifty shades at its finest and, and <laughs> that's pretty high. Like like the same time too, like um all for knowing her all ten minutes. Like it's like literally ten minutes. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's crazy. like <laughs> it's like my sword is your bondage. <laughs> <laughs> your bathtub is my rope. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> oh, man, and you know to kind of get now that you're talking about Bran and, and we were talking about like your your idea of the foreshadowing with the raven scattering after the um, White Walker was was killed with the dragon glass. Um, Bran actually sends Recon, and this is going to play a big part later. Uh, in, in season five, uh, Bran sends Recon to the Umbers uh, at the Last Hearth, and why it's important is because uh, if you think, if you remember, like Great John Umber was was killed at you know what happens here in a short minute, yeah, and so the Umbers and the Karstarks like almost like they they hate the, they hate the Starks, they like they are no longer they they're not sworn to them, especially because now there's a new warden in the north in Roose Bolton, they they have Recon. And like that's why that's how you know Ramsey gets him later yeah. on. And again, we're not going to jump too far ahead of that. Which I'm glad you said the card um, start there yeah. real quick. Because we got a few more minutes here. But remember when Rob makes that sentence because the two boys were killed. One thing that is different in the books is it's in the books it's a lot more brutal. They really don't play it out as well as it should have been in the show. Because in the books he uses an axe right. and it's over and over completely unclean. Right. Almost like how Theon did in season two. Exactly. When he executed that guy. Yeah, Sir Roderick, you're 100% right. Yeah. Uh, it was not clean at all. And it, it, like they tried to make him look so much like his father in the series with that one clean stroke all the way through. Yeah. You're right. It was it was a lot, um, a lot messier than that. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because it ties into what's going on as you start to see, you know, Rock, Rob was really on this uphill climb for a long time, right? And it's like, as the stress and all the alliances fall based on his unintellectual thought through decisions, he has started to crumble and fall apart to where he just can't take it anymore. Whereas when this last ditch effort of trying to make an alliance with the phrase comes in, right. I think Ultimately, if he had just handled himself for just a moment before making this rash decision like in the show with Talisa and all these different things and had approached things differently, it could have taken an entirely different turn and we would have been completely seeing a different end of the story. Right, yeah, we talked about how you know, in the last episode of this, uh, how many of the small mistakes could have been avoided, what we would have done differently. You know, hey, just don't execute them right away. You don't need Frey's many. Don't go back to the twins. But now that we're talking about Frey and the twins, what happens now? We get the we get Catelyn starting to be a little suspicious because they start they they go to bed Edmure and uh, Rosalind, his new wife, and uh, after that he says, "I have got a gift for you." And so as he's standing up, uh, she's hearing the reins of Catherine playing, and she knows something's not right. And what she do? She looks at Roose Bolton, look, pulls up his sleeve, 
and sees chain that mail. she's got he's got chainmail on ready for battle. And she stands up and slaps him. And Roose Bolton runs out of the room. And then all of a sudden, like, Rob's, like, looking over there to see what happened. And he gets shot with, like, a bolt in the, the shoulder. He gets hit with, like, three more. Like, falls down. And, like, the guy with the knife comes around Talisa, stabs her, like, five times in the stomach. Like, that was brutal. Oh, because it's a baby. baby. Yeah. yeah. She's pregnant. I asked another thing. We didn't even mention that. Like, you know, that he was, she was pregnant this time, this entire yeah, time. Yeah, she was pregnant this entire yeah. time. And the baby just... I remember the first time I watched this episode years ago, that's what hit me most when it first started happening, was you're like, wow, they're really doing this. Yeah. They just stabbed her in the stomach. Yeah, because they anywhere else. They, they made to make sure like, there was no chance at all that there was going to be Baby Stark. They're, that's why I was like, wow, yeah. they're, they're actually doing this. Here's a question, too. Like how you said, as we all could see in the show. Catelyn picked up on the reins of Casimir. Why don't you think she didn't go to Robin's secret for a minute and say, hey, you know, we're going to need to fight our way out of this? Because I don't think she knew. I think she felt something. But, like, like, like you know, she's almost been the overprotective mother in every situation. Remember when she, like, was with Bran? She didn't leave his side for three weeks. So, like, like and he's technically the king. So, like, it's going to look, like, bad if she's, like, like hey... Watch out, like, like, his mother's coddling, like, hey, like, listen, I'm the king, like, I'm, I know what I'm doing type of deal, like, you know, why are you making a scene here? She didn't want to take that risk of it herself not being right, but that mother's intuition, because she, she, had, she had no proof of what she was going to say, like, I hear a song that doesn't usually get played at weddings, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. like, it all happened real quick, after the, after the, she hears that, and she sees, like, the chainmail, she slaps through his bowl, and she doesn't have a chance to do anything else, like, after that chainmail, left all of a sudden, he gets shot, like, a second after that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... I just don't, I don't think she had enough proof or she just wasn't quite certain, but she definitely was picking up and she was super uneasy the entire time. And this kind of goes back to, hey, if Greywin was there, he would have alerted everyone like, like, hey, listen, my dog, like my, my dog, my dire wolf doesn't yeah, act like, yeah. my dire wolf doesn't act like this <laughs> on a daily basis, like something's wrong. And like mm -hmm. that could have been a whole different situation, but because, you know, choices were made, that's what happened. And when I first watched this, man, I... I legitimately paused the, the TV. I was like, no, 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 this is no. That's your boy, like, man. Like, there's your no boy. way. I like, there's no way. No, like, this can't, like, this can't be happening. I paused it. I wouldn't even do it. I called my friends. I was like, what? What's going on? And they're like, dude, just sit down and watch the rest. Sit down and watch the rest. They didn't tell me anything. Like, I didn't want to sit down and watch the rest. I was like, I was in shock. And like I said, I, like, I very, I can really pick up and kind of guess how a lot of shows and series end what's going to happen. And the Red Wedding caught me completely by surprise. Because this entire time, you're thinking that Rob Stark is going to overcome all odds against him, unite it, and, and get his vengeance. And it just didn't happen. And I just was not ready for Rob to die. Because, like I said, we saw the mistakes that he made, but like he was still young. He could have fixed those up. And, dude, Walter Frey did not take that uh, the whole uh, thing kindly. And he created the ultimate sin and, and butchered the entire, oh, basically the entire Northern Army yeah. at the wedding after offering them salt and bread and under his protection as a guest, which kind of curses him later on, like what you just wrote down. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, saw, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, you saw um, that, right? Um, <laughs> but going into, as this point, I mean, Real quick, and I don't mean to cut you off, because when, like, as he's getting shot, like, at the Red Wedding and stuff, this is where that foreshadow comes full circle, mm -hmm. where Roose Bolton goes up to Rob Stark after he's like he's like on the ground like like holding his like wife in blood, and like like looking at it. He's 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 almost in a daze at this point in time. Yeah, he did. Like like he, he didn't know like, like he wasn't like scared. He was just like like 
in shock, but like wasn't acting like like anything. He just like his eyes were just looking at his wife, and he stands up. And he's like, "Mother!" Like he didn't know what was going on. Like, uh, like no, it was so weird. Like, hilarious. Like, oh, it's crazy. And like that time, like, she, like you know, when he said that, she had grabbed. Catelyn did grab like Walder Frey's wife and holds a knife like I'm my honor as a Tully I'm out of Stark it, you know I will kill your wife and Walder Frey's like hmm, I have another <laughs> and then, I'll find another yeah and then that's, I'll find another that's when Bruce Bolton comes up and remember what he the Jamie Lannister said to him back at Harrenhal uh, he said you know tell Rob Stark I'm sorry I can't make his uncle's wedding the Lannister sent the regards Bruce Bolton looks Rob Stark in the face and said the Lannister sent the regards and shoves a knife into his heart yeah oh man. And it, you gotta think from these characters' perspectives. Like, if you're Catelyn Stark, that's what makes me even wonder, like, did she know what was going on? Because it almost makes you wonder, I think she did know what was going on. I think she was just so in shock, because they've been so on top of the world at this point. Even with her being in the cell with Rob, she still knew she was his mother, uh, they were fighting for their vengeance at this point, and when I was watching the show, um, even back to when I was in college, I still remember when I watched it for the first time, you're like, after this happened, it's dead silent. Yeah. Yeah, After, like, after like, she cuts, like, Walter Frey, Frey's wife, and then she gets her neck cut, and then nothing. Like, like they did the dead per- most silent. perfect thing that they could do. They let you just melt and suffer in your own silence. Like, you just saw, like, words on the screen, like, that's the end of the episode. That's it. Like, it's just dead mute. And you're just sitting there in your own, like, shock and, like... And you're sitting there wondering, like, where does the show even go from here? Yeah. Because even at this point, like, you're not looking at John on this super major arc. No. Danny's kind of gaining her power. Yeah. Like, she's getting there. Yep. But still, you're like. Stannis got defeated already. He's the dead yeah. stone. Like, and you're right. Like, it's, Joffrey's ass is still alive. Yeah. And you're still sitting here with a thought in your mind. Are they gonna get revenge for Ned? Right. Which, you feel like it's not happening at this point. Like it's lost for everything. Which this kind of goes into, though. At the same time, the Hound is taking Arya, trying to get Arya to her yeah. mom and brother, and thank the Lord they don't make it there on time. Right. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like you know, and and wow, like. Like what she if tries, that went different? It, it's just a small thing. Either either way, they get the you know the guy's like, are you soft in the head to the hound? Mm-hmm. Like, and originally you know the hound would have cut that guy's head off just for being disrespectful. Oh yeah. But, like he saw the situation, and then Arya tries to get her way in there. Then she sees them kill the Northmen outside and shoot Grey Wind with the bolts through the to the, the stable, and which this winds like, up leading into episode <laughs> yeah, yeah episode, episode ten. 10. So, yeah, and, you know, just to kind of give us, because, you know, it's, it's crazy how Game of Thrones does this. It's always the second to last episode where big things happen. It's never the yeah, last episode right. in the season. Like, like, in season one is the second to last episode when Ned Stark lost his head, right? Like, um, so, in episode ten, like, after we're, our whole, like, hearts are ripped out of our chest, and you've got to wait a week to watch what happens next after the Red Wedding. You're, like, like desolate because, you know, the Golden Boy and his army, you know, they finally lost it all. Literally, they the killed. Golden Boy. I, I love that you put that because that's <laughs> literally what he was. It's portrayed as, yeah, for sure. And, like... And talk about desecrated. Yeah, I think that's the it. moment that hit us most 
as audiences and followers of, of Rob, which you know the most because he's your favorite guy. I mean, I've always been, you know, a Jamie and a Danny guy, which is why I'm kind of, I guess I'd be like a Griffith, right? <laughs> the lion and the dragon. Um, when Rob, you see his body with the hound head on it. Well, yeah, with his direwolf. His own yeah, direwolf said. Dire they they, they removed Rob Stark's head. And they removed Greywind's head, and they stitched Greywind's head onto Rob's head. And it's body. riding like right. he was on the horse. Yeah, and he? Like they popped he was up, on the he horse. Was up, yeah, around like a like a, a pole, and like they had it stitched on. And he was riding on the horse, and they started chanting mockingly, "Here comes the king in the north! Here comes the king in the north!" Like wow, like that was so disrespectful. And you're just like, like what is going on? And the thing too, like you know, I don't think and this is a good question, bro. I don't think Rob Stark ever got his like you know how Catelyn got Ned's the body back and like she sent him to Winterfell to be buried in the crypts underneath Winterfell. I don't think Rob Stark's body was ever returned to like the Starks at all. I think I don't the, think it I was think the just like Ned almost. Well, Ned's back. Yeah, yeah, they got Ned. I'm saying like like Rob's body just was never returned to Winterfell. I was talking more of like how they put Ned's head on the stake. Like, right. Just but they, but, yeah, then they but they ended up giving it giving the bones back and like your final resting place is supposed to be at the crypt underneath Winterfell with your entire family and the phrase just said fuck that like you know, you, you screw us over you you're dead you don't get shit out of your customs like. That actor's always kind of played a creep. The guy Argus Filch? Yeah. yeah! He was in Harry Potter, yeah. which we'll get into at Argus some point. Argus Filch, that's Remember right. his, like, cat was, like, petrified? Yep. Mm-hmm. He's always played a creep. Kind of like the guy in... Have you ever seen Red Eye? Or, you know, the guy that plays a scare... He's the same guy that's the scarecrow in Batman Begins. That's awesome. But he always plays a creep at some point. Um, but... Like I was saying, the books, I think it really goes into, you got to question Rob's decision and whether he was made for a great king. Because a great king wouldn't have made this decision. As far as even Rob in the books, he knew how much the phrase as an ally meant. If he could get the phrase as allies, he could have taken back the throne. Yeah, absolutely. He could have taken back. He didn't, he, he didn't even need them. If he would have just kept the Karstarks, he had enough men. He said, "We need to replace the ones that the Karstarks deserted after I killed Rikard Karstark." They wouldn't even needed the the phrase. They wouldn't be able to take Casterly Rock and like do enough damage from there. Because at that point, Tywin would have been like enraged that they took his home from him. They would have met him out in the field, and that's what Rob wanted. They, you know, on a military strategic point. Now, if you add the phrase to the Karstark, if he does everything right, man, they win that war. Right. If he does yeah. everything right. Rob Stark and the Northmen win that war. But Easily, yeah. He just, he just he's, he's it impatient. Just, he was impulsive, and it, and it cost him in the end. It makes you wonder, like, um, I mean, you know, uh, as far as the old Hercules quote, right? People do crazy things when they're in love. Well, this yeah. is beyond crazy. Yeah, like you, you like put beyond crazy is. punishment, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think that's why, like, the car starts numbers. Like, they they sided with Bolton after that, like. You know, and that's why Recon kind of got I the, mean, sh- the shit is, end of the deal. Uh, and to take our viewers and listeners back to this time, like, people, it's really hard for them to understand because nowadays, you know, you fall in love with the person you want to stay with for the rest of your life. For this time period of what this book series 
and this show series is setting up, like, this is something Rob would have known about since he was of young age. Yeah. This isn't something that yeah, he just yeah, decided yeah. he found out about that he you was married to, like, the, the house, like, you know, you build alliances with houses through marriage. That's right. why, like, in the beginning, Robert Baratheon wanted to marry uh, Sansa to Joffrey, so, like, the Baratheons and Starks would be a combined house. That's why Walter Frey wanted all this in the first place, is because they've always laughed at the phrase, like, thinking them as second class, even though they're a powerful house. And so he wanted Rob so that way, you know, they, they are thought of as one of the top houses because instead of being a mockery and, you know, he creates the ultimate sin and, and murders the entire, almost the entire northern army under his yeah. protection of, of uh, Saul and Bredwich. Yeah. You know, when he wrote down Arya's name, she, uh, she's got something to say about that a couple seasons. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. yeah, guys, um, other, the only other two real key things that I, I want to jump into uh, for, like, the smallest amount of time is that at this point, Sam, like, you know, north of the wall, Sam and um, Gilly, they meet up with Bran and Recon in the tower. Um, and, like, this is what I was talking about. Like, Bran tells them the story about the white rat, the chef that fed the, the uh, son to his father, and, like, how it, the gods cannot forgive a sin of murdering people underneath uh, the protection of the bread and salt. And um, it kind of it, it throws a picture right to Walter Frey after that. Uh, to kind of say the gods can't forgive a sin like that, and he get, he gets what he, it could have it should have been worse, but he gets what he deserved in, in a way. He is eating his own sons, and so we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that. <laughs> but I thought that was really important because then also, you know, at this point they they do have to go their separate ways. Uh, Sam wants to take Bran to the wall, and and Jojen's like, no, John's not at the wall. <laughs> like you, right, know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. so they they have to like he basically has to tell him how to get through the tunnel out to the wall. Uh, to go north of it, become the Three-Eyed Raven. That's when that choice is really made. Yara decides, say, hey, listen, I'm going to take, you know, uh, my father's ships. We're going to go try to free Theon from deep uh, from the Dreadfort. Um, Maester Aemon, after Gilly and Sam get back, he lets, you know, Gilly stay, which is interesting because no women are allowed at the Night's Watch. Um, lets her kind of stay on because she had no place to go. Then... Um, <laughs> Egret, she shoots John so she finds him at the stream, puts three arrows in him, he barely makes it back. But you know, like like in the books it's mentioned more than like Egret let him live. Because yeah. the, how good of a marksman she was as well. Like you you I've seen mm-hmm. you put an arrow, I forgot the exact quote, but um, basically saying like we know that you didn't shoot to kill, basically. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I gotta go home. <laughs> he said, like, yeah, oh, I yeah, gotta go right. home. Which really showed like where they have grown for each other over this entire season. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was that was the true love, man. That, that, was, that sucked. I mean, think about it. It started in season two where you're supposed yeah. to execute her. Yep, you can do it. Um, yeah, which, I mean, going into the prophecy of three, man. I mean, we see it all throughout the books. I mean, you have... Now you have the Starks with John, who is the bastard son. And then you also have the wildlings. So it's funny if you think about that side. So think about this, right? So you have Danny, who's in the center. And then you have the Dothraki on the right side. And then you have the Unsullied on the left side. And Danny's with the dragons. You have John, who's with the wolves, I guess you can say, with ghosts. And then on the right side, um, you can say he has the wildlings. And then on the left side, he has the Starks. Because well, he's more like still the Night's Watch. Because he's or not the Night's Watch. Because like the Starks at this point, they're gone. 
Like, almost all the Starks are dead. The only ones that are alive are Bran and Recon who are kids, and then the women. Yeah, because you know I mean? and Sansa. Right, but like, like Sansa's still like a captive. Yeah. So I guess you can say, yeah, the Night's Watch. Really, Night's Watch would be the uh, Night's one. Watch. Yeah. So I mean, it's just funny how you see, you know, I feel like we're almost doing the whole Da Vinci Code or the Omega <laughs> Code here. Like it's funny how you see the semblance of three all throughout this entire, you know, arc here. Which in the end, which is really funny, because the way you almost feel like it should have worked out was like another semblance of three. Because think of this, right? And bear with me for just a minute. So you have the Iron Throne, and then you have Danny, and then you have John, And like, in the end, there's got to be a Unite, which we know that's not how it worked out. But then that almost goes back to what I was saying in episode one, how George said the whole reason he was making this series was to show it doesn't always work out with a happy ending. So you can see this kind of common arc throughout the entire thing. And in the end, every single time, when you get to almost the very end, it falls apart. And it's like people just cannot catch a break Yeah, during this series. For sure. But, yeah, so, um, but my point being, based on what you said, that's when you really see Ingrid... Ingrid has definitely grown fond of John. Oh, she's in love with him, and like he loves her too, and that, that's just the internal constant war with him. Like, do I, you know, am I, it's my duty I'm choosing, or is it my love for this woman? And he he makes the duty choice, and it's sad how how that ends. And that's something we'll save for another day. But only other two things that to talk about, not even to touch him. Jamie makes it home to King's Landing. He sees Cersei, and. Uh, Melisandre convinces Stannis to spare Davos because they're going to need him when they get Master Maester Aemon's letter about the the dead. That's when she said the real war lies. So no, like this 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 war of five kings is nothing. You know the long night's coming and the real war is between the living and the dead. Mm-hmm. What we were talking about there, and then it kind of season three kind of ends up with Daenerys as she freed all the Yunkai slaves. They came out and they start praising her as a goddess, saying Misa as the, you know that means mother in their native tongue, and you know, she she's now the mother. She's got <laughs> she, now she's got eight thousand unsullied. She's got however many second sons. She's got the Dothraki that she still has. She's got two like knights in Barristan Selmy and Sir Jorah Mormont. She and now she's got like followers who like owe her their life to her. She's really come into her own, and this is almost like the peak of her power before things start going downhill for her and Marine. Which is really funny, you've uh, seen her develop this whole arc on her own. Yeah. And, you know, they really weren't even concerned with her at this point. You know, there's a small... Over in Westeros, yeah, they didn't think Yeah, not at all. <laughs> there's a small section where, in this entire show, um, where Joffrey brings it up to Tywin when he's just getting pissed off. <laughs> he's like, what about, what about the Targaryen girl? And he literally looks at him and says, well, what about it? Yeah. Well, that's for other people's needs, not you. <laughs> right, and like, and basically saying, like, like she's not a threat right now. She's worlds yeah, away. Like, no one like, last time we saw dragons, they were the size of cats. Like, we don't, like, like we we have things to worry about here on this front, which is crazy because, you know, she ends up being the one you have to worry about. And, you know, yeah, that's a that's a downfall yeah. for Lannisters is the arrogance. But I think that kind of wraps up everything for us in Season 3 and, and A Storm of Swords. Uh, the third book and installment in a song of Ice and Fire, man. Yeah, man. Um, one thing I definitely encourage our listeners uh, and viewers to do, 
go back and watch this season again because uh, that's one thing me and Josh have challenged ourselves on is if you think just because you've seen it once or you've read the book one time, it really doesn't do it justice. No. I mean, you really start to connect all the details. 100%. Later. And I mean, there's even so much more stuff we could have gone into that we didn't go into. Like, you know, uh, the Black Dragon, like I was saying, he's actually the dragon that you see in the Red Keep down in the bottom with the scorpion later on, which we'll get into that later on. But it's, it's just so many things that George did that was complete genius, really, as far as how connecting the dots worked. If one dot yeah. was missing, this whole thing falls apart. Huge domino affecting, you know, everything. It's amazing how just small little little uh, nuances and how different things would have turned out. But guys, uh, hit like, subscribe to us, uh, follow us on our social media. Uh, we've got we've got an Instagram page. We've got um, like a podcast on what is it now? We've got Apple Podcasts. We've got Spotify, Podbean, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Stitcher, so, Cast, yeah, me. <laughs> and we got we got the, the, our Facebook page as well. Uh, YouTube, uh, we'd really like to get start getting uh, some notoriety out to our YouTube yeah. page as well there too. So, uh, guys, click like and subscribe and follow. We love it. We love the engagement. Like I said, we, we're, we're running close to like 7,000 listeners now. Yeah. Um, you know, Instagram. I mean, we're on yeah. Instagram, uh, official Ridiculous Patronus. Yep. Follow us on there. You can go to our website if you want to see any more updates, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. Um, you can even like follow us on um, our Facebook fan page. That's one thing we have. Yep. Chase but, and Josh Factor Fantasy. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, what's great is we talk about this all the time and this is what this show is about is we get to kind of dive back into like how we did here, Westeros and Essos. People here, you know, the show ended back in April. So they've had, you know, really like an eighth month reprieve, right? Without this thing. And it's going to be a while till you now have House of Targaryen that premieres. I so, think that might be the first thing that we 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 should try uh, doing our first live podcast when that the first episode drops for that. I yeah. think that should be the I first. Think time. Our I think that's a bold prediction. I think that, we do so, it? Yeah. yeah, we'll do it. I think so that'll that, be our first, that'll live, be our first podcast. live podcast. And yeah. we're looking forward to the engagement because by that time, I'm sure we're going to be in the we'll multi-digit thousands of listeners. Yeah, we'll be fine. Uh, you know, so we'll have people engaging that's while we're doing it. So yeah. <laughs> I put it out here today. Yeah, and then in 2020, House we're going to do our first, we're gonna do our first live podcast. But yeah. this has been our podcast for today. Yeah. Uh, this is, was part two of season three of Game of Thrones. This has been the Ridiculous Crew with yeah. Factor Fantasy. Jason uh, Josh, man. About to sign off next week. What are we going into, though? Uh, we're going to go into A Feast for Crows in season four. Feast of, for Crows. Uh, Game of Thrones. So yeah. catch us, catch us next, next week, guys. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Keep up the engagement. Uh, uh, this one has, has a lot of detail into it. The next one isn't going to be uh, as as massive, right? It's kind of the downslope of the. This is almost like the climax of, of one point, and it's going to come on down a little bit from here uh, until it goes back up again. Yeah, yeah, it comes back up. But yeah. so the next one is going to be. You know, we're going to be able to dissect it real deep. You know, go really into it just because we're going to have more time to work with it. Where with this one, it's just so, it's so massive that even though we did an amazing job of putting everything out there, I'm so sure there's things that people are going to be like, oh, you guys missed this, or what about this, and ask us about it. So uh, looking forward to that interaction, but as of today, 
uh, this this has been it's, uh, part two of uh, Game of Thrones yep. season three. Uh, ridiculous crew chasing Josh. Back to fantasy. Signing, Signing off. off.